Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, February 17th. It is time for the Power Hour. We'll hear from the team from Pittsburgh Power. Then we'll find out what's on your mind. We're going to open the phone lines right now. Go ahead and jump in. Get your calls lined up. We can talk about anything related to maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. If you've got a question, a comment, a topic, jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. Looks like... uh, I think we've probably got Pete and Leroy here. I don't see Bruce on the board yet. So, uh, Pete, good morning. Uh-oh. Morning, Kevin. Oh, How are you today? There you are. There we go. Doing good. Is somebody quoting Monty Python this morning? I, apparently someone was, yes. <laughs> I guess that's Jordan. Yeah, That would be Jordan. <laughs> Got it. There's always He's some to us up in, uh, for the show. Yeah, whoever whoever answers the phone or whatever, there's always some weird saying in there. And today, I noticed it was Monty Python. So, uh, what's on your mind this morning? Yeah. <laughs> so, a couple of things I was going to go over. One, um, it seems like within the last couple of weeks, and it's probably because it's tax season. Uh, a lot of people calling up for invoices from past repairs. And I, I'm just shocked that these guys don't keep better track of their invoices for taxes and just if they need something done, warranties and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. And I know, um, you know, get a physical copy. It's tough to keep everything in your truck. But um, on your phone, you can download an app called Adobe Scan. There's an app for everything. And you take a picture of that. <laughs> and it basically, if you're at my shop and say, hey, I have these Cummins injectors, um, and they're under warranty, I'm going to say, I need you know, original invoice. They can print it out, and it looks like an invoice. It's not a picture of a right. invoice. Right. Hey, it's Lee- pretty handy to, to have, and I think the guys should be using that more often. What was it called? Adobe. Adobe. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's called now. Scan. Um, Adobe scan. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, Leroy, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe we should it's write. It's handy to have because we get that a lot. A guy will want, you know, oh, I have warranty. Okay. Um, but I can't do anything. I can't start the warranty until I get the original invoice. So then they're calling their dealer or selling at home to send it over. And, you know, now we just lost four hours um, on truck repair because we don't have an invoice to start the claim. Yeah, good It makes point. sense for them to, to keep it um, on file. And it doesn't take up any space. It's just on the phone. Right. And you, you don't lose the paper in your bunk or, you know, it flies away when yeah. you're doing 80 miles an hour, blows out the window. I hate when that happens. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, I, just, uh, I, I imagine because of tax season, people are calling. We've got to just lately all of the guys here have been like, hey, people keep calling for old invoices. Yeah, good tip. They just wanted to bring that up. And then the other thing would be parts availability. So right now we're having problems getting DDEC 3, 4, and 5 ECMs. 
They're getting scarce. Uh-oh. Um, the one-box issue's not getting any better. Really? And the ABS modules, having issues with them. CAT, haven't had much problems with the CAT. Um, the ISX have been pretty good. Yeah, you, you can get a CAT ECM. They're just insane expensive. I think they're like $3,900 or something like that for a 6-inch ECM, which wow. is insane. Yeah, it is. I mean, I know yellow is a premium color, but yeah. <laughs> holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, wow. You know, nothing about the supply chain seems to be getting better, and there doesn't seem to be any real reason. You know, when when we were coming out of COVID and China kept locking down and we had, you know, 300 container ships hanging around in the ocean, uh, you could kind of see it, but that's all gone. There are no container ships waiting. No, they're really, China got rid of all of its COVID policies and lockdowns, and yet the supply chain seems to be getting worse. Yeah, STC injectors, I know it's an old engine, um, but they don't exist. Well, that's uh, probably for good reason. Yeah. <laughs> As you can tell, Leroy is not a fan of the big cam. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> he can't plug in, so he looks at it. That's it's right. Like, what is this? I, what am, yeah, what am I, I going to do with this? Plug in at. Yeah. It's a crap heap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're still going to the big cam. I'm still a um, couple in the shop. I got an old cab over. Need some work. Having problem, problems getting the cab up, though. I've got to get that up first before we can work on it. All right. That can be challenging. Uh, does it, oh, oh, Bruce is here. All right. We've got him now. So uh, I'll bring Bruce in in just a second. Pete, do you have anything else? Nope. That's all I have. Leroy, what's on your mind this week? Well, I was just going to tell another sort of fun troubleshooting story. Um, I seem to get a lot of those, and everyone seems to enjoy them. So I remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a truck with a, a battery issue. Do you remember this? Where um, they replaced that. Well, it wasn't a battery issue. They, they, it didn't have any voltage at the ECM, and the lift pump wasn't coming on. you oh, remember yeah. the whole story? Yeah, that I do now, the lift pump. Okay. Yeah, so the so same shop calls me again for my you know mystifying... Uh, troubleshooting advice, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, this one's pretty good, too. Um, so they're having an issue with an ABS code, right? They say, we've been working on this truck for three days, um, like eight hours a day for three days. So that's got to be expensive for the guy. And they're like, we've tried everything. We've you know, we fixed wires, we've, uh, you know, been into the loom, we saw broken wires. I was like, okay, well, that's good. You know, if you see a, right. a broken and corroded wire, that's a good fix. Yeah, of course. So as we keep talking, he tells me the whole story, you know, it goes on for five minutes, telling me the whole life story of, you know, the truck, where the truck was created and yeah. where his grandmother was born practically, you know, the whole right. thing. Right. And so I was like, okay, what's, what's the code? And, he kind of fumbles around with his words. Um, uh, I, like, you, you don't know what the code is? And he doesn't know. Like, what have you been doing right. for three days? What have you been trying to fix? Right, where did you start? He goes, well, the ABS problem. Goes, What's the problem? <laughs> you don't even know where you're, what, you're, what you're trying to fix. I was like, what? Have you just been staring at it? Like, 
what have you literally been doing for three days? Right. And then, so, oh, hey, man, then, it, he, then he finally utters, like, oh, it's uh, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't want to forget this. You, you could pull a little passive-aggressive move here. Send him a copy of the book, How to Troubleshoot. See if they get the clue. <laughs> yeah, we should just stock that book. And <laughs> exactly. Every time you get somebody like this, just send them a copy. Yeah, so it was just so disappointing. It was, I was really frustrated on the phone, yeah. and I was trying right. not to be rude with the guy, but I was like, you've wasted three days' worth of your time and this driver's time, and you don't even know what the problem is. So when he finally uttered out, it was the PMV valve, right, which is um, sort of what modulates air pressure to the brake, right? So okay. it's just not on or off. So he, he utters that, and I was like, okay, well, is it the voltage high? Is it voltage low, open circuit, short circuit? Still doesn't know. <laughs> and I just practically wanted to hang up on the guy. I was like, well, if you don't even know what you're trying to fix, don't call me. Like, go back, read the code, follow the troubleshooting steps that are given to you in the software, and then call me back. Yeah, exactly. Unreal. So we ended up working together, and it, it turned out that it was just the ABS module, which is sort of a rare failure. You don't see that very often. That, And I don't like to call that the module's bad because they're really expensive. I mean, that's what Pete mentioned in uh, his opener, that they're having a hard time getting one. Right. So we were going to sell them one for, for one, $3,800, and you can't get one. Wow. Which I don't know how there's a price on something you can't get. Yeah. That's a strange concept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? You might as Apparently, well say, it, it's and, only 100 bucks, but we can't get you one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're on sale. Make it look good, yeah. I mean, apparently, unobtainium it goes for $3,800. I guess so. so. That's, guess that's so. the going rate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was just sort of a, a fun story of just frustration. I can't believe it, that, you know, stuff like that occurs. You know what I mean? You know, I'm with you. Like, what did you do for three days? I, I would love to have known what they were doing I, all that time. And what what are they telling the driver right. for three days when he's like, oh, right. what's an update? What's yeah. an update? <laughs> what, like, oh. what did you eliminate? You know, if you haven't solved the problem you, yet, at least tell me what you've eliminated. You would have to try harder to to make up the story than it would be <laughs> just to look at the software. <laughs> just, just fix it. And that yeah. takes more effort to, <laughs> right. to formulate a lie. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, how fun. Poor guy. All right. Anything else before we bring in Bruce? Um, no, just, yeah, electrical problems. That's, that's kind there, of my shtick, so. There it. we go. All right. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind and, today? And uh, I want to say that every person that calls in or talks to you in the next month, that plans to go to Louisville, I want them to tell you that you and Lisa should be in Louisville. <laughs> we, it was a and hard decision. you got to bring Lisa. It was a, it was a tough well, you decision. Know, and, and, you know, 
people that have never spent time with Lisa, they don't realize that lady's the life of the party, and you never know what she's going to say, and she's always smiling, and she's a pleasure to have around. Pete really likes to have her around, and you two should be there. We thought long and hard about it. Everyone that calls in should should say that uh, that, uh, we need to see you at Louisville. And we do have the owner-operator snowmobile conference. We are sold out except for one room, and it has six beds. Wow. So that has your names on it, six (laughs) beds. And you you can bring your dog, Diesel. Yeah, so, wait, so... Anyway, so, anybody that... Just, uh, just Anyone that wants to come to the owner-operator snowmobile conference, you uh, there's one room left, and you could be sharing it with a couple other people. There you go. All right. All right, next thing. You ever been somewhere, and somebody's upset with something, and they said... Boy, if somebody just give me $100 for this, they could take it away. Well, I don't know what uh, Linda and her husband, Ricky Kesher from West Virginia, they were somewhere, and a person was very upset at their Polaris UTV. And you know, those things are pretty pricey, wasn't they? They yeah, start they like at 18, built into the 30,000s. Yeah. And this was an RZ170, and it wouldn't run, it wouldn't stay running. And, you know, it's gasoline. And I don't know what they paid for it, but I, I, my understanding was pennies on a dollar. And they have grandchildren that wanted one. So they were at the right time, at the right place with some cash, and they took it. Brought it home, and Ricky, the husband and the grandfather, drained the gas out of it, put fresh gas in, and put the max mileage fuel-borne catalyst in, and it runs perfect. Really? Mm-hmm. So a guy gave up a Polaris UTV <laughs> because of bad fuel. Bad fuel. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then Brian Wassler from down around uh, Hagerstown, Maryland, he runs a catalyst in his Caterpillar. But he has an old Briggs & Stratton 10-horsepower Coleman generator flathead. 20 years old. And to get it to start, he has to pull the air filter off, give it ether, and then it starts. So he said, you know, he hears us talking about putting the catalyst in gasoline, so he tried it. Now you hit the button and it starts right up. No ether. No pulling the air filter off. That's the effect that this catalyst is having on gasoline. Interesting. Couple times a week, people call me with success stories on gasoline and the max mileage catalyst. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it is. That's good. Mm-hmm. So, on Brian just had his NBN cat, and the NBN was the um, first engine that uh, Caterpillar was paying a fine on to build because they weren't quite ready with their BXS or ACERT. So it was an MBN, and they never really ran well. We, we had the key to make, making them run well. But uh, So Brian takes his truck in to get rebuilt, and they put six NZ pistons in it, and they put a 5EK camshaft in it, which I was surprised. But they couldn't get six NZ pistons, or, or 
injectors. So the 6NZ piston is a different compression ratio than the NBN. It's a lower compression ratio, so it's a different spray angle on the injector cup. And in engine building, you always have to make sure that the injector matches the dome of the piston and the timing of the camshaft. Those are your three basics uh, and, and line of protrusion. Those are your four basics that you have to do. So the engine ran okay. We dynoed at 729 to the ground, but it just didn't pull right and made a lot of heat. So we made some changes in the turbocharger. And, and I want to talk about that right now, because when you're making 800 and some horsepower, there's three things that a turbo can give you. It can give you a good bottom end pulling power and mid-range, or it can give you mid-range and top, but it can only give you two out of the three. So you have to decide, do I do a lot of city driving and do I want my engine to come on like a bandit at 1,200 RPM but start to choke at 15 and 1,600? Or do I want it to come on at 14 and 1,500 and pull me on up through 1,800 like I, where I should be, 16 to 1,800 when I'm pulling the mountains at 80,000 pounds? So you always have to remember the turbocharger cannot go from zero to wide open throttle and be real efficient. Now, a variable geometry turbo can properly set, but we're talking about 2002 and older engines in this case. So, uh, we worked on Brian's and made some changes in the turbo and Leroy made some changes in the ECM. We actually cut the power back uh, to 650 to the ground instead of 729 and went larger with the turbine housing and went a little bit larger with the compressor wheel and the engine is pulling smoother and it comes on really strong like at 14 1500 and up but he runs the uh, western part of maryland and up through pennsylvania so he needs it to pull strong up there and now uh, being they couldn't get 6NZ injectors, they put MBN injectors back in. So his spray angle is not matching the piston. So they're working on getting him a set of 6NZ injectors now. And then we'll see the engine run perfect. Got it. All right. Good stuff. And that is what I have for today. All right. I think then we should probably jump to some phone calls and get started on those. Phone lines are open. We're going to get started on your calls right now. 855-950-3835. We're going to get started in KC today. Raymond, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How is everybody? Good. What's on your mind today? I have um, my trucks in the Pittsburgh Power Shop right now, and uh, uh, talked to Leroy and Brian yesterday. They called me, and uh, he was telling me that they're still kind of one of the last things they're working on is I had an ABS light on, and, and I tried to call in, so I missed out on the very, very beginning, and um, he was talking, uh, Leroy was talking about the ABS uh, uh, module or and I, what I was wondering is I think that's what I'm going to have to get. Um, 
what I was wondering is, is this, it's different from what's close to the wheel, the front wheels and what's on the frame. So is it a different module? No, it's funny that you, you called in because it's, they're both going to be the same module, roughly. I think, well, one was a, I think yours is an EC60, and I think his is an EC80 um, with traction control. So they're probably going to be roughly about the same price. So you're trying to get one for yours is probably going to be difficult and probably about $3,800 as well. But it's not the, it's not that small one that's, that's on the frame right by the wheel. No, that's the, that's the modulation valve, yeah. Because, yeah, because I had T&E change that oh, a year and a half ago, right. and that didn't fit. And yeah, they work fine, yep. So this module, is it up on the dash, or where is it at? Um, so where your shifter was, you know, essentially it's an automatic. There's a shifter in the center console. Right. It's sort of below that right next to the floor. I got you. So it's inside the truck, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's inside the truck, yep. And and you guys don't know when you're going to be able to get it, then? Um, no, but um, we're going to see if maybe we can find, uh, like, a working used one. Um, those things kind of rarely fail, so I think a used one would probably work just fine. Um, that was so good. I'm going to see if good. I can find one. Yeah, I was thinking maybe junkyard or something. I don't know. Yeah, I imagine we can get them out of a junkyard a lot cheaper than trying to buy a brand new one. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I know that you'll be able to test that correctly and, and find out whether or not it's. Oh yeah, I'll know right away whether it's going to work or not. Awesome, awesome. So that's what's been causing the. You know, it just worries me because if I get if I get a full inspection, they'll they'll fail me. Yeah, yeah. And I and I'm not sure if that's a shutdown type of uh, like you can't go anywhere that, that I'm not sure of and I know we're not going to go into compliance but but that would be a bummer because nobody could come out to a scale house and figure that out I guarantee that <laughs> no yeah yours was a yours was a bit tricky to find out with the uh, the code that it had and it ultimately came down to yeah like we talked about yesterday we just cut the wire one inch away from the uh, ABS module and it still says it's shorted so it's only about an inch of wire, and it's not shorted anything. So, yeah, it must be internal. So, um, in, in, normally, if you cut that wire, you would have gotten a different message, is what you're saying. Yeah, it would have went open circuit then, but it was still saying that it was shorted to voltage. And, yeah, it wasn't shorted to anything. It was, it cool. was basically an open circuit. Okay, great. Well, hope maybe they got it across the street. Um, today to get that other, to get my detail. No, they they didn't. They they can't get you until next week. They're they're already backed up for this week. They generally schedule one week out, so it won't be able to go over there till next week. I talked to Sue this morning. We may not have that part in anyway. Correct. Right. Yeah. I got you. And uh, one other question that I had. Uh, the, you guys fixed the um, my windshield wipers would only work on high, and and they said they figured it all out. Was you involved in that? Uh, no, actually, Warren fixed the wipers. I haven't. Uh, I didn't get to look at it all. No. 
okay, that's cool. Because I figured it's got to be a, a mod. Because I changed the arm, the blinker arm that controls it all, and that, it didn't fix it. So it probably was some other kind of module, I imagine. I was just curious. Yeah, if you call in and ask for Warren, he could probably describe what he fixed. Or I can just talk to him when I pick it up. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, fine. Okay. Yeah, Rick didn't actually, he didn't uh, return my call yesterday, so I didn't know if my truck got taken over there or not. But. Yeah, I know I talked to so, Stu about that. So so, they, so next week it will be over there. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i on yes, the schedule. they have you in a ticket for next week. Mm-hmm. All right, excellent, excellent. All right, well, hey, thank you guys, and uh, thanks for doing all the hard work and figuring out, the, you know, I know this has been a long deal, but she's my baby, and now it ought to be that last me for a long time. Uh, you know, I I, uh, I know guys that are buying. I mean, I'm going to spend a little over fifty thousand when this is done. But you know, if I go buy a truck for that, I got the same problems. And yeah. not a rebuild exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, and I and I already have uh, you know a hydraulic wet kit on it, and, and that's a pain in the ass to try to put uh, that yep. all in a PTO on another truck. Yep. So, mine's just EGR, which they all replaced. So, I ought to be good to go. And I appreciate you guys' times and minds. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks yeah, for the call. No we gotta got to move along. The calls are piling up. We're going to head north of the border to Quebec. John, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. How's everybody doing today? Good. What can we help you with? Good. Um, I was wondering, I bought a truck about a year ago, and the first six months that I had the truck, I ran without the catalyst, and I had a friend of mine join, and he told me about the max mileage. And the last six months, I've really noticed the difference. I have an ISX X15. Um, over the last six months, I've noticed the engine's got a lot quieter, as Bruce has talked about in the past, a couple of testimonials. And I have some friends, they can't believe how quiet it idles. First of all, so I'm a huge fan of the Catalyst. I was just also wondering, um, being from, I run a lot of the eastern seaboard, I was wondering how far east you guys ha- would have a remote tuner that might be able to set me up, because I don't get over towards Pittsburgh too often. Um, so where do you get the papers? I run a lot of up and down the 95 area, so I'm running a lot of Man- Manhattan, Connecticut. You don't get over towards Ohio and in Pittsburgh too often, so I was wondering how far east you guys had any of your remote tuners. Maybe I could get it. Well, let, me, uh, let me take a look. So we have one in Schneckville. 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 It is off of 476. Okay. So we've got that one. We got one. Yeah, um, west of Lancaster. We got one there. Okay. And you got one up in Massachusetts. I don't know if you go that far north or not. Oh yeah, yeah. We're on through Mass quite a, quite quite often actually. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, we can the website. Sorry, go ahead. If you get to the website, you'll see all the places that, that we have. And they're a little thin on the East Coast. Um, but right. you'll see 
you know, where you're heading, if there's anything in your, in, in that direction. Perfect. Next bill. Also, I, I had another question. Um, I run generally 62 to 65 on mine, and I'm running right around 1475 to 1500. Should I be lowering? Should it be a little bit lower in the ISX? What year is it? 2017, ProStar. Yeah, are you in? Are you in your highest gear? Yes. Yeah. Eighteen speed. What's your rear gears? Three oh eight, I believe. They told me. I asked last time I was in the shop. Three oh eight with an eighteen speed, and at sixty five, you're at what RPM? Uh, Fourteen seventy five. I don't think you have 308s. No, not that. No, not that high. With that's the, what the kid told me. With a double overdrive and 308s, we'd be at like 12 something. I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's not even close. Yeah. And I wanted to double check those, with you guys what I was told. So those sound get like the, uh, about take the bin and call 355s. What's the sorry, Bruce? Go ahead. I was going to say 355s, like Kevin just said. Uh, call the international dealer with the last six of your VIN and see what they tell you. Okay. Or jack up the back end and put a paint mark on the tire and a paint mark on the drive shaft and turn the tire and see how many times the drive shaft turns for one revolution of the tire. Hey, Bruce, you know what helps All make right, that give it a just a little more accurate instead of a paint mark? Tie a string around the drive shaft, and even put a little weight on it, like a plumb bob. It'll pull it down right exactly oh, really? when it's nice and straight at the bottom. Yeah, just makes it a little more accurate. Okay. Yeah. So you tie the string and you put like a nut on it. Yeah. Yeah. And when the string, you start with it straight down and you end with it straight down. Yep. Okay. So at three oh eight. The tire should turn just a, uh, okay, little, a little over, over three, times. three times. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. And like I said, uh, long, not too long time of a listener, but you guys have helped me out in the past with some troubleshooting that just happened to come on the air, and it's uh, helped me out with a lot of issues. Good. Anyway, again, thanks, Scott, for your time, guys, and appreciate everything. You're welcome. Enjoy your day. Thanks for the call. Let's go. You know, oh, go ahead. You know, Bruce. Kevin, what, oh, one of the things I say is just like what he said at the end there, if we all help each other, life is tough, especially right now. Life is tough if we all help each other. Like when somebody's broke down along the road, if somebody stops to help them. When we all help each other, we get through this life easier. We sure do. We could use a lot more of that these days. Yes, we do. Yeah. Yes, we can. Let's... Uh Let's get back to the phones. Let's go to California. Emerson, welcome to the program. Morning, gents. I got a which one would you buy question. Well, I've got one of my trucks. Hey. You you there? You hear me all right? Yeah. Hey, Emerson, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. This could get interesting. There's there's four of us here, so you may get five answers on this one. That's okay. All right. That's all right. Because right okay. now I'm, I, I'm, 
I'm, uh, I could, you know, roll the dice and any one of them would work. Uh, I got one of my trucks. We're developing a cooling issue. We don't know if we're pushing it, uh, pressurizing the, the system, uh, head gasket, cracked head, whatever. But we've done, it's been a great truck, and we've just decided for the expense that we're just going to put the money into a nicer, newer, better, lower mile truck. So, um, fortunately I've got a great dealer rep that's been working with me and he's found three different ones that meet our criteria. Um, they're all either Kenworth or Peterbilt. We've decided we're going to stay with Cummins. We're not familiar with the pack car. We don't have the service network developed like we do with the Cummins. We've had so many of those and dealt with all the issues. So we're, we're comfortable. But one is a, a 2020 Kenworth T680. Um, it's a 450 horse X15. The Endurant 12 speed automated shift and 264 gears. And uh, right at 400,000 miles on it. The second one is a 500 horse X15 also the endurance 12 speed auto uh, shift with 279 gears and like 440,000 miles I'm rounding off and then the third one that's a Pete 579 by the way the third one is also a Pete 579 it's a 2018 with a 450 horse Cummins X15 13 speed manual and 336 gears. So I and we're and we're within ten thousand dollars each one. Well, how much? There, there are ten thousand dollars variance between the three. What's oh, the, the last one has an APU on it. What's uh, what's the price range on these? What are we talking about? Uh, ninety-five to ninety-five to one hundred and five. Okay, man, prices still haven't come down as much as they should. Now the third. Here's here's one of the ways well, I approach this. I'll, and the last. I'll the, jump in first. The, the last one's got the APU. Okay, I'll jump in first. The way I do, I do this backwards from what most people do. I'm going to start eliminating trucks. So as soon as I just. Pick one off the list and work on it till you can eliminate it. And if you can't, then that's going to be the right one. There's an easy one to eliminate here. That the old school 336 13-speed. Just get rid of that truck. That's garbage. That's an awful setup. You will not be happy with that. Won't get good fuel economy. You'll struggle with that. So that's an easy one to get rid of. The other two on the surface, they're so close that you're going to have to figure out either one of these trucks are fine. That's actually a pretty good spec for the X-15. You know, you can't really downspeed these a lot. But the, So the 264 is my first preference, but 279 is close enough that we're not really going to lose a ton of efficiency there. So now you start trying to eliminate one, and I would start, if it were me, I would start trying to eliminate the 680 because that's the one I want. When I just look at them on the surface, that's the one I want. Now, let me try to eliminate it. 
if I can, then I got to move on to the other one and see if that one. And if I can't eliminate it, then that's the one I'm going to buy. So I'm going to do a rig dig report. Okay, let me throw. I'm let me pull the ECM. I've already done that. Okay, pull all the data out of the ECM. Check idle yeah. time. Check regens. All that stuff we normally check. Fuel economy. And then if there's no way, if there's just nothing that jumps out and says we're going to eliminate this one, then you're just down to personal preference. Which one are you more comfortable in? Which one do you like the features of better? It really comes down to that kind of stuff. Right. Well, the um, the truck is owned by a it's, it's on consignment with the dealer. It's owned by a FedEx contractor, and uh, he's getting new trucks in, and this one's getting cycled out. So, um, and we and we've done that. I've done rig digs on all three. There's nothing there that's that's worrying us. Um, now hold on. Stop, that, stop, that stop, particular stop one. A second. See, I, I could have saved you a hundred bucks. The the process. Well, don't run all three. Why run all three? Run one. Work on one well, truck till you all, can eliminate all, it. I understand. A single rig dig was thirty nine dollars. Three rig digs was forty nine. So got it. We just that get must them all be pricing. That actually makes sense. But so you see what I mean, though. Don't. Don't start working oh, yeah. on all three at the same time. Pick an order and say, I'm going to work through them in this order. That's why I said with the two that are left, I'm going to start trying to eliminate the 680 because that's the one I want. That's the one I would have started with. It was just that other one was so easy to eliminate. Yeah, that one is actually our preference, but the... Um consignment owner is being really obstinate and difficult to get information and work with the uh the other is dealer owned at the same dealer the third one we eliminated just now which was what i was going is uh at a uh, another location for the same company yeah so right. it's it was kind of my odd man out anyway yeah. um, but and then the other thing too is the kenworth is a thousand pounds lighter which our operation weight is big so, um, the, so the big thing are, is just, can I wait for the guy to... Right. Those are the kind of factors you're going to get down to. That 1,000 pounds is going to make a difference over the life of this truck. So you start looking for things like that. If you run out of those, then, like I said, you just look for personal preference. But either one of these trucks, for what you're looking for and what you're doing, are, are both reasonable trucks to look at. Anybody else have any thoughts yeah. on this, too? I usually start with where where do you operate and what speed do you cruise on the interstate? Western U.S., all the mountain ranges on I-5. Uh, typically, we're 60. We get out into the, uh, you know, western states outside of California, Oregon. We'll bump it up to 65. Okay. So the 279 and the 264 will still work for you. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't know how much difference we'd have. The one that Kevin eliminated first, I like APUs and I like 13 speeds. 336 is a 65 to 70 mile an hour gear, so I I would go with the 264. That would be my choice. Yeah, and that's and that's where we're trying to go with it. But I'm not gonna, you know, push a rock uphill. If that guy doesn't come around, we'll go with the other one. Yeah. And as far as the difference of the fifty horsepower 
uh, we can tune that. Exactly. So the 450 and the right. 500 are probably absolutely identical, and it's just a tune. And you'd want to do a tune anyway, and you should do the diesel force cleaning and have the DPF wash and then put it on the catalyst diet, and you'll run trouble-free. Put okay. a new torsional damper and balancer on the front of the crank and uh, the diesel force, the tune, and the have DPF. You, uh, have you guys had much experience and background with that endurance 12 speed it's a it's a eaten endurance 12 is what they call it, it something like that here's what i can tell you from where i am i have zero real problem calls with that transmission i can't think of a single call where there was like one of those unsolvable problems or we've really struggled with this we almost never hear about that transmission yeah, it's, um, I really like what Joel's doing with the Volvos. This kind of seems like a three- or four-year-older version, you know, on the the Packard, you know, Packard brand trucks of what he's talking about with the Volvos, just not quite as advanced. Yeah, that, don't, so, fool, don't fool so, yourself. That's why we felt pretty that, good with that, it. Don't, don't fool yourself. Well, no. I, when we're talking about engine architecture, yeah. these two aren't even in the same county. No, I get that, but it, it's ahead of where it used to be. Let's put it that way. And um, our our network with the Kenworth service and the Cummins guys, that's right. kind that, of where we're heading that way. So. Yeah, I'm not arguing that. You, you stated that up front. That makes sense. You stick with what you know. And this is a good way to build this engine and this truck. So whatever you choose, then the next step is yeah. build it the best way you can, and you're on the right track here. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Kansas this time. Oh, hold on one second. I just hit the wrong line. Things were moving on me. We're going to go to Kansas. Ken, welcome to the program. Hello. What's on your mind today? All right. Oh, this is Ken. Um, got it. My N14. This is kind of a technical question on boost. I've got a scan gauge and I've got a boost gauge. The boost gauge is mechanical, although it has a digital readout, and I can easily get 35 pounds of boost all the way up to 30, 39 if it's really pulling hard. The scan gauge stops at 31 and a half. That's, that a, that's actually a Leroy. That's a Leroy question because the the sensor may not uh, go that high. Leroy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also uh, the limitation of the data link how it interprets uh, the the message coming across. Um, so basically, it sees a number come across the data link, and it uses a certain factor to divide that number down into something that makes sense to the driver. So. Really, what's probably coming across the data link is uh, a much higher number, maybe something multiplied by 32 or by 64 if it's an 8-bit number. So you might see 2048 come across the data link, and it has to divide it down. So to make a long story short, they kind of all do that when they read on 1708. Um, they only, like Detroit's do the same thing. They only read to 32, um, even though the ECM can read to 40 PSI. Um, it's just a data link limitation oh. thing, and that's how the standard oh. is made, and that's just how they are. Okay. 
Well, that, that was a simple answer to a not very complicated question. Pardon me? What's the horsepower of this engine? Um, I don't, I do not know. What, what is it? It's a five and a quarter. They will sometimes make that type of boost, so that would make sense. Um, I say, you know, it, it shows on the data tag three thirty to I think four ten, but I don't think this is a stock tune. But um, the way it was when I bought it. Okay. No, you're not yeah, even close. Make that type of boost. Something's drastically wrong here. Uh, you won't have 39 pound of boost out of a 330, 340 horsepower engine. So something's getting the wrong signal. Um, first thing I would do would be put a mechanical boost gauge in it that is not a digital well, it, readout. Well, it, it is. It is a. It's a mechanic. It, I mean, it's plumbed to the intake. It just and the boost on the Dash gauge coincides with the scan gauge up to 31 and a half. Okay. I mean, they, they, so, they run the same. This, this engine has to be a five and a quarter plus because five and a quarter stock is 32 pound of boost. And if you're up to 39, um, let me do a get out my calculator here. I'll tell you what, uh, if everything is correct, I'm close. That end, uh oh. You're making 643 horsepower. Does it feel like a 643? I don't have any trouble pulling hills. The, when you're running with other trucks, hard. when you're running with other trucks, are you comparing your engine to the other person's engine and your boost to their boost and speed and RPM? Well, I'm not with other trucks now. Okay. That's the easiest way to see if you're if you're close. Let's say you found a stock 550 cat, and he was making 28 to 32 pound of boost. And if you're running right with him, then you know you're at least at 550 there. Oh, but so it'd be interesting if you could get it if you could get it on our dyno, and then we could tell you exactly what you have. I was thinking of that at home to have somebody put it on a dyno there and see what it runs out at. Okay. And then get to Kansas City. You said you're in Kansas, right? Yeah. Oh, our home is Kansas City. Okay. Get the T&E and have them hook up to it, and Leroy will get on to the remote tuning, and you two can talk about what he sees. Yeah, that I that I can do. Okay. I'm 
later. But yeah, it's, uh, all right. That's what that's what we like to hear. Can do right. That's right. Can do. Now I've got an uphill trip all the way to Colorado. There you go. It is uphill from Kansas City to Colorado. <laughs> and you know, first time I went across Kansas. Yeah. First time I went across Kansas, I had an Isuzu diesel I put in the Suburban. And I'm looking at my boost gauge. I'm pulling a small utility trailer. with. Uh, there were six of us in it and all of our ski equipment in the trailer. And I said, I thought people told me Kansas was level. And this thing is uphill. <laughs> hey, Bruce, is that the... Uh, it is. Is that the truck you built in Ravenna, Ohio? Yes. I thought so. No, we just... We didn't build it in Ravenna. We we cut out a lot of the firewall, and we got the engine set in in Ravenna. Got it. And then I brought it back to the shop and finished it. Yeah. Got it. That's the inner given. That's her first time and the only time I ever had deep-fried green pepper rings. And my God, were they good. Yeah, I bet that would be good. Little little restaurant, deep-fried green pepper rings in Ravenna, Ohio. All right, Ken, anything else? Seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, All sure right. does. No, that'll be it. i right. got to pay my toll here, so we'll listen to the rest of the show. All right, perfect. Thanks for the call. Let's. Uh, so we're, uh, we're heading into the final call on the board right now, which is unusual. So if you've got a question, a comment, a topic, go ahead and jump in, 855-950-3835. Let's head off to Florida. Tom, it's your turn. Hello, guys. How you doing? Good. What's hey, on your so, mind today? Uh, my problem is uh, I have a Kenworth T680 with a common type set. Uh, I have a problem with the power steering fluid. Uh, for some reason, uh, it's getting white, and I'm suspecting it. the ATF is mixing with uh, coolant. But I don't understand how he's mixing coolant and where it might come from. And uh, you can definitely see on the reservoir, it went up, and then you open it up, the cap is completely white. Doesn't it sound like we're getting water in there? The power steering fluid is thinking water. Yeah, and it, to crack some place or the gotta, lids off, right? Like that. Yeah, there's there there are no other fluids that are connected to that thing in any way that I can think of. None that I'm aware of. And if the volume is going up and it's turning white, that's churn the water churning in there. You just have to figure out where it's getting in. Okay, I already replaced. Uh, the filter, the fluid, and the reservoir completely, and it's the same completely thing. And I, I took already off the, the pump from the compressor, um, maybe coolant coming from the compressor somehow. I don't know. I pulled it off, and I didn't see nothing, nothing wrong. And it was a little bit of oil, and that's it. Is this in a Peterbilt? Uh. Kenworth, this is Eddie. Kenworth, okay. Hmm. Maybe you should take an oil sample, see what's getting in there. Probably a good place okay. to start. Okay. 
And if it's, uh, if it's water or it's coolant, or what should I talk about for that? I'm, I'm suspecting oh. it's coolant. I'm suspecting it's coolant because it's kind of like smells like coolant. And, uh, you know, after like, I don't know, like a month after driving it, the coolant on my hold, hold on a second. tank hold, goes a little bit down. Hold on a second. Is there anywhere on that truck that coolant crosses or could potentially cross into power steering fluid? I, I don't. Yeah, I'm aware of. No, I don't think there's yeah, any. I don't think there's any way possible for that to happen. So I don't think we should be thinking coolant. I don't know where it could possibly. I don't like. I say as far as I know, unless they've come up with some new system, you know, recently that that power steering system is isolated. It's on its own. I don't know of any other fluid right, that could right. get in there except water coming from the outside. And if it's, if it's coming outside, to say the water can it come out from the like from the main cap or somehow? We, we, yeah, the, that's we don't know. That's what you're going to have to start trying to figure out: is the cap leaking? Is there a crack in the housing somewhere? That's what you've got to troubleshoot. So, there's, there's, I don't think there's holes in this thing. What's that, Bruce? I don't think the power steering goes into the radiator for cooling, does it? No, that's what I'm saying. I don't, no, it's I, not. No, that, I don't think any other fluid not. comes anywhere near that system. I tell you what, I have a Kenworth expert, a good, really good friend of mine. I was talking to him yesterday. You call me right after the radio show. Give me your name and number. I'll call him. Okay. There you go. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks for the call. Good right stuff. after the show. All right. Let's go to New York. Oh, oh, hold on. Another call just popped in. We're going to go to West Virginia instead. Charlie, welcome. Hey, this is discrimination. Last week, twice, and this week, you put somebody else on and you hung up on me. Yeah. Well, so anyway. So All I, right. I don't know what, lately my timing seems like to be uncanny almost. Like I, I'm going to click on something and right as I'm doing it, the whole screen shifts. And I'm clicking on things I'm yeah, not supposed course. to. So, well, this time it, it defaulted to, to your favor. You ended up getting on this time. Hey, I do want to say something about Charlie here, though. I, I, I think he's flunked retirement three times. Am I correct, Charlie? Yeah, I, yeah, I did, Bruce. I did. Well, Besides, I have okay. a project for you, too. So, I think you ought to elaborate, though, first on you, you retire. You don't stay retired long, and then you keep coming back. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm 67 now. Last Friday was... Was, I turned 67, so on Thursday I called Beckett and asked him how many how many famous were born tomorrow, and he didn't know. He thought it was him, and I told him it was me also. So, and by the way, yeah. I turned 74 on Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, and my my two well, thank you, and I'm going to be on a cruise ship with my two older sisters, and they won't celebrate my birthday because they both want to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> so they're going to make me wait till Monday. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got a couple things. Uh, last week, you're talking about shutters. This is a six, 660. It was just out there for overhead and stuff like that, electrical problems. But uh, before you start with shutters on something that come on with the maxis, this clutch fan comes on after uh, minutes, even when it's cold out. So I don't think that's going to work just from this truck. Okay. You were talking about that last week and twice I called in from San Diego and they thought I was in Mexico, cut me off. So anyway, that's that part. The other parts are the project Bruce is for Dr. Uh, Dr. Jane. I could have sold a couple gallons I had of catalyst last week. You guys, am I still on? You're still on. Yeah. Yeah, you're on. Okay. All right. I, I actually pulled over because I'm up here by the West Virginia line in and out, and I didn't know what the signal's going to be. Okay. And and a couple of guys were there couldn't get their trucks to reach in. <laughs> and they wanted to know what that stuff was because I was getting tools out to help them. And actually, my OPS filter was loose, so I fixed that too. But uh, they, they wanted to know what this stuff was. And... They wanted to buy the bottle from me, but then I didn't have any left. <laughs> and they, what would happen if you put a whole bottle of Catalyst in a truck, shake it up? Would it would it help get to regen faster? Oh no, you don't want to overcharge it too much like that. Uh, if you were in San Diego, uh, Doctor Jane's partner is in uh, just north of San Diego. If, if you could have got in touch with me, I'd have had Brett bring you down a couple gallons. Well, he wanted to buy the stuff I just bought when I picked the truck up. And I don't have room for all the stuff in the truck, so I only have one bottle mm -hmm. of winter and one bottle of regular. But anyway, he he was he couldn't get this pack car to regen. I mean, he's older than me. He's 74. And he's like shaking his truck up, trying to get it to regen and putting stuff in it. But anyway, so... So I don't know if Dr. Jane can make a 911 thing, air quotes, you know, for that when they don't reach in. Maybe she has some special idea on that. Maybe she'll call in because she, use, she usually listens and corrects me when I'm wrong. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I mean by project. And uh, I agree with you, Bruce. Kevin and Lisa need to go to the thing. Yeah, I'll go along with you. We're, we're going to go to the thing. No, Louisville. <laughs> Louisville. Yeah, Louisville. You know how many pronunciations? How many different what? pronunciations that town has? Yeah, a lot. I, when I was leased at Mercer, I used to call it and say, "How's the weather in Louisville?" And they correct me, and I'm like, "I'm, I'm nuts. You forgot this part." You know the yeah. other. So, so anyway, you know the other one. How, how do you pronounce the capital of Kentucky? Is it Louisville or Louisville? Louisville. Neither one. It's not the capital. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that one gets everybody. <laughs> I have seen t-shirts yeah, with okay. all the pronunciations on them, like six or seven different pronunciations on a t-shirt. Well, there's going to be new t-shirts here, Kevin. You have, you have there to you go. go. Get one. All right, Charlie, we good? 
Yeah, I think hey, so. hey, Charlie, wait, Charlie, Charlie, yeah, Charlie, yeah. why do you keep coming back after you retire? I talked to you one time, you said, this is it, I'm done, I'm selling everything. I mentioned your stuff on the radio show, and within a couple of months, you're back in another truck. Well, I went back to be a company driver then, because I, uh, and, and I enjoy driving, and I couldn't stand driving a DEF truck pilot, because my travel agent was a jerk. Uh, and I love driving, and I'm on full socialist security now, so I'm retired. I go where I want, this is my camper. There you go. Inch factory sleeper in a 660. Gotta love that. Yeah. So when the wife says you've been here too long, go or somewhere. So I got a load to San Diego. Got a load back to Delaware. I met uh, I met a I met a fellow in Florida, and he works in Home Depot, and he he has a degree in something to do with shrubs and grass and irrigation because his, his career was building golf courses and he retired to Florida. He said, you know, you can't golf every day. And he said, my wife was used to me being gone because I was always gone building golf courses. And she said to me, if we're going to stay married, you better get another job. And now he's a department manager at uh, two, two different <laughs> departments in Home Depot. And he said, you know, they, and I looked around and I, I looked, I said, everybody in here looks like they're retired. He said, they are. He said, and they pay us very well. Yeah, there you go. But there's certain things about that retirement deal. Yeah. Well, I love to drive, so. It's like, hey, works for me, because I just yeah. lost all my retirement money on my social security, whatever it is. I would waste on uh, gas driving all over the place. So, works for you, me. you know, Charlie, when you just me. said you, when you just said you were in San Diego and now you're in West Virginia, and, uh, those of us that that aren't having no, do I want to say nomadic lifestyle? We want to be on the move and don't want to be in one place. That really gets the mind going sometimes because I, I think of when I was down in San Diego and working an RV show and when I was traveling back across, is it Interstate 8 or Route 8 coming out of San Diego and up over the mountain? So it's um, those of us that are stuck in offices and garages, when you guys talk about all this, sometimes we get that wonderlust. Hey, hey, Bruce. You got to be careful driving on eight these days. You got to dodge all the migrants coming across the border. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was mid eighties when I was there. It was, yeah. It was a little it was different then. Drive. A little different then. Now, I love that part of the country. There's yeah. uh, just outside of San Diego, um, out in the desert is a place called Borrego Springs. And it's, it's, it looks just like one of those oases you see because you're just, it's desert. There's nothing out there. It's totally brown. And then all of a sudden you see all this green and there's a spring there and it, they built uh, an RV park there on the springs and there's a golf course that goes all the way around the RV park. And it's the only green anywhere. And then all the land out there is all uh, BLM land. So you can go out and park anywhere you want out there. Yep, nice that BLM land's interesting. I just 
just don't get down in where the creeks are because I buried all six axles in my rig. <laughs> Did you really? Be all in my <laughs> all yeah. six yeah. Yeah, that had to be fun getting out. So it was a, unfortunately, all these RVers guys showed up with shovels and everything else, and we dug and dug and. And then two pickup trucks to pull the Kenworth out, and then another guy with four-wheel drive hooked onto the fifth wheel, and then another guy onto the garage trailer behind it. But uh, that was a quite an operation. That was about a three-hour lesson on how to get out of that. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. But our beers are great that way. I mean, oh yeah, uh, they all come. you know, Bruce, it took me a little while to figure this out when we first started RVing and, you know, you stay in RV parks. And, you know, one day I'm walking around, and I'm like, you know, it just dawned on me. Everybody seems to be happy all the time. And it, th- then I realized everybody in an RV park, for the most part, is either retired or on vacation. They're always in a good mood. Mm-hmm. And you never know what their past was, what they're capable of doing, what they know, what tools they have with them. And what they're worth. Yeah, well, that was that's the other really interesting thing about RV parks. You know, it, in the general population where people live, they're pretty well separated by how much money they make, right? Houses in in neighborhoods, you're going to have really high end neighborhoods, and you're going to have, you know, the the hood. It, it's I, we were sitting around in an RV park one time and three or four of us talking and I just looked at the people that were sitting around and one of the guys we were, you know, all, all of our spots were right there pretty close. One of the guys was in a, a $3 million Prevo and another was in, you know, a, a $2,000 little tow behind. And, but you're all kind of hanging out there at the same place. And it's kind of interesting. Are Prevos that much now? Can you put 3 million in the one? Uh, they start at two now. Yeah, it, it, really. Three's not that tough. Yeah, you you don't you don't touch any of those for under two anymore. I do know that. Yeah, marathon and anybody building on the Prevo chat. Maybe you can find a, a bargain out there at, at a million and a half, but I don't. I haven't seen any. Not new. So Mike Mike Thompson, who was the Continental airplane pilot and then switched over to United because United bought Continental. He's our catalyst dealer from in the Indianapolis area, Shirley. He was also the stunt pilot. He's also the guy that bought the engine, the <laughs> yeah. 60 Sears rebuilt out in Council Bluffs. And, you know, that thing is given to make nine miles a gallon. Yeah. And he also has some earth-moving equipment. Well, he has a beautiful motorhome. And he goes down. I think he's in the Tucson area right now. So he he bought a little house down there in an RV park. Yes. Yeah. And I think he wanted a garage because he's a garage guy. So he bought himself a a Polaris UTV, and he meets meets all these other retired people, and they're out in the hills, mountains, riding. And then he found one that was all jacked up turbocharged huge <laughs> tires and he said he fell in love with the off-road riding so he bought it and so i've got two of these things sitting down in the, in arizona and uh, i was meaning to give him a call today and get some videos to see what he's doing with it but uh, so he's just a very interesting guy 
You know, Bruce, that that concept of the RV parks like that has been growing quite a bit where you, you actually own your lot in an RV park. And a lot of them now are making lots big enough that you can build uh, structures on them so you can put like kitchens or outdoor kitchens mm-hmm. or, you know, a, a small cabana where people could stay. You might put a bedroom and a bathroom in there. Uh, Moab has a really nice one that, that we stay at that just has beautiful uh, spots and some gorgeous buildings next to them and storage for toys. And I, I got thinking, if I ever kind of retire, I guess, right now the plan is is we're buying a lot of real estate here because we'll probably just build a bunch of vacation rentals. Um, we're just in a good, good spot for it. And we've started collecting some land. But the other idea I had for kind of, you know, semi-retired, still working and doing something, but I thought about how much I would really enjoy having four of those spots around the country. I want one in the Northeast, someplace really beautiful up in the Northeast. I want one probably in Florida somewhere, one either Arizona, New Mexico, somewhere in the desert Southwest, and then one in the Pacific Northwest. And I would just travel around to the four for the best seasons. I, it, I want to be in the Pacific Northwest in the summer. There's no doubt about it. I want to be in New England in the fall. Um, I probably want to be in Florida in the spring and then uh, head over and, and catch some time in the Southwest until it gets too hot and then come back to the Northwest. I love that idea. Well, it's a great idea, and it's just part of that, uh, you know, in the in the trucking lifestyle, the fact that you can only stay put so long, I and mean, you have to move. And I always called it the art of the ride. There you Sometimes go. you just need to go for a ride. You don't need any place to go. You just ride. Just want to ride. There and sometimes, and sometimes it might be in a car, might be in a truck, might be on a motorcycle, an ATV, snowmobile. But it's it's. The movement and the ride. Yep, I agree. All the right, better we, the, the, the more power, the more power you have, the more fun. That's, that's right. We better get back to some calls. They're piling up on us again. We're going to go to Tennessee. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey guys, just uh, more of a curiosity question. I'm not having a problem. I've got a 2020 Coronado Water with a 2WS cat, and when I when I started in it's cold outside, cold being, you know, 35, 40, not real cold. It, it'll start and it'll, it normally idles at 700, but it'll idle at 600 for eh, maybe a minute or so, and then it'll bump up to 700. Is that a normal or is that a programming? It's not causing a problem, just curiosity. Is the throttle responsive when it's at 600? If you blip it, does it come to life or does it feel like there's air in it? Uh, no, it'll 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 okay. go up. We get the throttle. Do you have white smoke while it's at six hundred? No, no white smoke. All right, Leroy and that ECM on a two WS, uh, being he's in the advanced mode, when that it's probably at that six hundred RPM, he's probably really advanced to make sure there's no white smoke. Yeah. Go ahead. It's probably in cold mode. I'm not sure if I can't remember if the 2WS automatically idles up or not. Um, it, I mean, all, all other engines do, so it wouldn't surprise me if this one does when it's in cold mode as well. Um, yeah. But I can't think off the top of my head if they do that or not. 
you would think in cold mode it would be up at 800 or 900. Yeah, 800. Has it always done it, or did it just start doing this, or...? Uh, no, it, it's it's always done it since you know the first winter I've I've had it. Yeah, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Just just I'm just, just curious. It doesn't seem to be causing a problem. Like, it only does it when it's cold. I don't I don't get in the real cold cold. I try to avoid it. Right, right. Okay. I I think it's because the timing's drastically advanced at that time. Okay. I didn't know if it was like maybe I'm the load of let it warm up for a minute or so. Uh, more curiosity than anything. Doesn't seem to be a problem. All right, that was all I had. All right. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. They keep piling up. We're going to go to New York. Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you, guys. Um, Pete, uh, this is Bob. I talked to you last week about the... Um, lack of heat or I should say operating temperature mm-hmm. on a Cummins and a T600. Well, I have some new statistics for you and it really didn't improve it any, but I put, I covered two thirds of the radiator with cardboard. When it was zero last week, the truck ran at 166. Yesterday, and both of these are gross to now, Yesterday, I ran in roughly 28 to 32 degrees across the New York State Thruway, and I never, I stayed right around 168. Today, it's 40 degrees out, and I'm staying right at 177. The question I have is where that thermostat housing is. Is that possible that there's an air pocket in there? And I, and when I climb a hill, it climbs like it should, but then it's reading wrong because steam is, you know, like in an air pocket? Uh, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think um, the air pocket be causing that. Hi. This was the end. What, what, year is this, is this a, this, what year is this truck? It's a 2005 CM870. 2005. I think I'd be getting a mechanical. I'd put a mechanical water temp gauge in a different spot on the block and run it up into the dash and just keep an eye well, on it just to compare. It's it's actually kind of before the electronics going through the ECM. I think there's actually two sensors on it, one for a mechanical gauge, which is on the dash, which currently is reading 155, 160. But I do know that that, is, that gauge is not correct. And I'm reading the, the other temperature off the scan gauge. And what is the temperature difference between those two gauges? About 15 degrees. Okay. Have you shot the thermostat housing with a digital temp gun? Yes, I did. And it varies and what the ECM reads. Okay. Okay. So we, it's safe to say that the gauge is correct. Yes. They, they, uh, the scan gauge is correct. 
I'm I'm eliminating the manual gauge at this point. Mm -hmm. I know that's not correct. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's and you've changed thermostats, correct? Yeah, three times. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, it, every once in a while we'll get an engine that doesn't make heat. It's it's really rare. Generally, they run hot. Um, it's extremely r rare that we have an engine that runs cold like yours is running. I, I mean, you've covered all the bases. I don't have. That's any why idea I'm kind of at a lost cause, and like uh, that's why I'm at a lost cause, and that's why I called you last week, and I figure I got everybody here now, and maybe somebody else has got an idea. Uh, and you've covered the, the rad. That should have made a difference, especially as it warmed up. You should have noticed quite a difference there. Let's go back a second. What truck was this? Yeah, that's what I would have thought. It's a T600. Leroy, you originally programmed it, and then Ethan went in and fine-tuned it back in 2015-ish. Uh, so it hasn't always done okay. this, right? I don't remember. Um, no, it was not always this cold. Uh, when it got rebuilt about 500,000 miles ago is when it started running cold. And I've been fighting trying to get fuel mileage out of it, and I just can't seem to do it. And you guys last week or two weeks ago were talking about uh, low water temperature and stuff like that. So I'm kind of chasing it again. So that's... I mean, the only idea I have is that's a PWM fan on that 870, and it's programmed yep. um, not to to be able to come on in stages. It's not like just like half on or like 20% on or anything like that, is it? No, 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 no. It's It kicks on it's, right around 208, 209, and it'll, you know, it'll stay on until it drops back down at 20, I want to say four or six. I can't remember. And then it kicks off. Yeah, that's that's when it fully um, kicks on. But up until that point, um, it can come on just a little bit. I believe it's just. Kind of I just believe the air is running through it. Oh, so you? I believe it's just the air pushing through. Okay. At least by the light on my overhead console, it's not saying it's engaged. So. Right. Yeah, I have no idea why, um, and not only why is it running cold, and if it was an air pocket, you've changed the thermostat a couple of times, you know, you would have at some point got it filled up where the air pocket wasn't an issue. Well, the other thing we'd have and to look running at is... A, um, premium. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, the other thing we have to look at is with, with the air pocket is... If that can occur, why doesn't it happen more often? And why did it occur? I, I don't think it's an air pocket. You, you know, it almost seems like the only thing that can cause an engine to run too cool are just thermostats being open too much or the fan running too often. Mm -hmm. Or a gauge being wrong. Or a gauge being wrong, yeah. Pete, is that thermostat housing a separate piece on that engine? I'm not sure. Uh, it's been so long since I worked on an, an ISX, I don't know. I'd have to look at one. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you put us on hold and ask Brian 
if that's a separate housing, if it is, it might be worth changing. Hey, yeah, I Bob, can look up online here. Bob, don't, do you know here. if it's a separate housing? I believe it is. As you're, you're talking about unbolting it from the engine right. block. Yeah, you, you, the, and whole, it off yeah. And the whole yeah. housing pulls off, and then you see the thermostat inside of it. I would get another one, even a used one, and put it on there with a new stat. And, a new, and you have a new radiator cap. I'd start out with another I tried new the cap radiator and cap. I would, I would exchange the housing or replace the housing. Yeah, it's almost like okay. you, you don't want to think too hard on this. It almost seems like we have to go back to the basics and just make sure something wasn't missed. Well, like I said, the only thing I can think of is on my Caterpillar and the over the pipe that goes over top of the engine back to the top of the radiator, there was always a bleeder valve on that to get the air out of the system. The Cummins has no way of getting the air out of that top half of that engine. At least none that I've been able to find other than loosening the temperature sensor and bleeding off the air. Some engines need to be bled, some do not need to be bled, so. Well, that's why I was wondering if that could be the case here. Is there any type of shunt line on that that runs between the thermostat housing and the radiator? You know. No. I think there is. And generally, so when the shunt line is there to, uh, you know, when it's filling up, air pushes out there, but generally if that line is blocked, your complaint is it overheats because you got an air pocket in there. Um, I've seen that happen before. NTCs, N14s ran shut lines, and you get an old truck with a uh, shred of flex line. It would collapse, and someone would throw it up, and the air couldn't get out. Um, some of the engines, like the low-flow systems, which had um, heating issues, they had bleeders at a bunch of spots, which was nice because you'd simply crack them loose, um, you're filling up the radiator as you see um, coolant start to come out and you, you tighten them up. And you know then there's just no air pockets because everything bled off. I mean, it, it made sense. Correct. But I don't see any place to housing. I don't see any kind of a bleeder on this other than removing or loosening the sensor that's on top. Is there any extra pipe plugs you could take out and put a bleeder? No, there was not. A petcock? Okay. I wish there was because I would just go ahead and do that. Because that would have been my next next, uh, attack. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, other than trying to find that uh, replacement housing in a good use one, I don't know yeah. what else it could be. That might be the only thing left to try. Okay, now how if when I take this off and I get another one, if I go get another one from a junkyard or whatever, how can I tell it's a good one? 
I, I think well, it, I never heard of one being bad in the world. Yeah, I was going to say I think it's. it's it, I think that it's, it's harder to find a bad one. Bad one would be pretty slim. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're just okay. not seeing this problem. If this was a issue where, like, hey, we're running into this all the time, then yeah, you're going to die buying a used one. Right. I mean, simply, just something we're not seeing. It. Yeah. Well, it stays it stays cold all the time. It, it, and honestly, um, without the cardboard there, 85, 90 degree temperatures outside at 70 mile an hour, and it stays right at 165, 168. That that just sounds like an open thermostat. It just does, right? But we've replaced it three times, and no, I, I under warranty that yeah, the the shop doesn't like to replace it anymore. It's got to be something else. But okay, what? I mean, I have your guys' radiator on it. I have your guys' charger cooler on it. So, well, I don't know. so this this is not the stock radiator. No. Maybe the problem here is that radiator is just too efficient for this truck. But the thermostat should keep it closed. Yeah, it should. That's right. It should. That, that's why we keep, that's why we keep coming back to the thermostat. Or there, there there are just so few things that could cause this. That that's why we're stumped. We get your frustration, but we're stumped too. When you troubleshoot, the first thing you do is make a list of all the things that could cause this problem, and this list is not very long. No, it isn't. Hey, think, think, think about this, Kevin. Three seventy nine P with a Detroit comes with one hundred and seventy seven tubes. Our radiator in that same truck is 400 tubes and we don't have this issue with the D-Deck 4 regardless of the horsepower and we're over a 100% more tubes and so on this T660 even though the rad is more efficient than the stock one and we sell a lot of radiators by the way we never had this issue. Yeah, well, that's why I would go to the housing. Yeah, I, it, it's all that's left, and we're you know really, it, with a, it, it's a stretch, and that's why we're saying the odds of you getting a bad one are probably slim to none because we don't even know how one can be bad. Has it been that way since the truck was new? No, I asked that question too. No, since no, it was rebuilt. Yeah. rebuilt. It's since a rebuild. It's a rebuild. That's right. Which I just don't know what the next question I have on a rebuild that would change this. I don't know either. That's why we thought maybe it was a thermostat. Right. And like I said, we we attacked that three times and to no avail. Do I dare go with a one ninety five thermostat in it or a two oh five? You know, for the cost, and since you, you've just about run out of ideas, couldn't hurt to try. Okay. I guess that's what my next plan of attack will be. Yeah. It, then I'll inspect the housing to make sure there's something obviously wrong. Hey, uh, hmm. Leroy? Uh, yep. Um, 
are there sensors somewhere that could just be sending a false reading somehow? Well, yeah, like we said, um, with the cool attempt sensor, you could be getting a wrong reading, but he's saying he's using uh, other sensors to measure, and it's oh. confirming with the All ECMCs. Right. Huh. All right. Digital heat gun. I mean, can't, can't you test if the thermostat's working by just feeling the radiator hoses? You must have to have on dyno. They are. What are you bringing in? Look at it. All right. Looks like I'm going to be figuring out how to get down to you guys. Yeah, that might be the, you know, this might be a case where the more eyeballs you have looking at this thing and thinking about it, the more chance you have of fixing it. Because it's such an odd, odd problem. Well, I need Plus, I need an overhead gun, so what oh, am I looking at a week ahead of time? Two weeks. Uh, I'm sorry, what's that? A week or two uh, lead notice. Um, give Eric a call after the show. I'm not sure what the schedule is like. And he can get you scheduled okay. in. All right. we will. Okay. Uh, Bob, I'm going to cut you loose. Calls are piling up. We'll follow up on that. Uh, I'm curious to know what that's going to turn out to be. Let's go to BC this time. Murray, welcome to the program. Morning, gentlemen. What's on your mind today? Well, y'all, on your open, we're talking about uh, the supply chain not getting any better, even though the backlogs and the ports are seeming to be gone. Yeah. I was into uh, I was into driveline shop the other day and was having a chat with a guy while a truck was being worked on, and he was saying that he has a hard time getting getting driveline parts, bearings, and things like everybody else is having problems. And he was he was saying that he was told by the guy at his wholesaler that there's not a problem not a problem with parts that the manufacturers are intentionally slowing down production. Because since COVID, they've discovered they can charge incredibly high amounts for parts. And so by artificially depressing the supply, they can keep, they can keep the well, price high. There, there's a, I don't know, there's a little bit of, yeah, think about. well, there's a little bit of a problem there. In order to do that, it, you know, all of our industries are competitive. I mean, we, we, we're not really talking about an industry where somebody could have a monopoly. You know, we're talking about all kinds of different parts, different pieces, different supplies. It's across the board right now. We're, we're struggling with this. But to think that, let's say, a bearing manufacturer could just say, we're going to cut production to increase price because there's less supply. Well, their competitor will just step in and produce more. Right? That's the beauty of capitalism. When you have competition, you can't do this. Now, if you're in an industry where there's two or three big players, this could be collusion, and it's illegal. And, and, and what you say is true, and I kind of, you know, looked at him and said, well, I don't know, yeah, it might it, be a bit of a stretch. But it, it is a stretch. It's and, and thought. Only because in capitalism that doesn't happen. There's always a competitor. There's always yeah. somebody. You know, if it's the biggest player in the industry that decides to try this, the second biggest player is going to become the biggest player. Why wouldn't they? 
you want to stop producing as much, I'll start producing more. Well, I, uh, you know, Kevin, the people that just bought that Polaris UTV that wouldn't run, I had them, I wanted them to put 247 gears in their truck, and they went to their gear shop, and they said, uh, Spicer said they're not making the 247 right now, so they're going to the 264. No, I, I, so, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing that they're not what I think the problem right, but all, is, a lot of companies are having trouble getting employees too. There it is. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference from saying the company chose not to produce as much, thinking they could raise the price in the market. That doesn't make sense. The real so, answer here does seem to so be that? we just can't get enough people to work. I, I you know, the. The late 70s, early 80s with stagflation was a really weird time. Prices going through the roof and yet the economy doing next to nothing. It didn't make sense. Nobody could even explain why it was happening. That's almost what we seem to be seeing now. Something that just doesn't make sense. Where did all these people go? Why are they not going to work? How did we end up with a people shortage that's so bad that it's driving prices through the roof and we can't get stuff? Well, and we have a people shortage because we all got a cold? I, yeah, I know. I, like, it, just we, we have a record low unemployment rate now. A record low. You can't find people to work still. And yet, at the same time, every single day, either somebody's lying which is very possible, or there's something going on we don't understand. I, in the last two weeks, Google announced huge layoffs, tens of thousands of people. Meta, Facebook and Instagram, big layoffs. Uh, uh, Twitter, obviously, they got rid of 75% of that company. Uh, everybody is announcing layoffs. How can we have such low unemployment if everybody is laying off tens of thousands of people? And I think the answer is these are all big companies getting rid of people because they see what's coming. The little companies like mine and yours, Bruce, we still need people. We still have work to do and we could use more people. So I think when these people are losing their job at these big companies, small business is sucking them up so fast. We still have really low unemployment. And yet we have an economy that is on the verge of crashing. Incredible. A good topic for the pit. Yeah. I, it, the, the problem is I get so frustrated because I can't explain it. I don't know why it's happening. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, um, that's all I had for you today. I just all right. I, thought I'd throw that yeah, for, good, for good, good stuff. Let's go to Illinois. Scott, welcome to the program. Scott, anybody there? Oh, hello. Yep, it's your turn. Yeah, I'm here. There you go. Hello, I have a uh, a 2012 Columbia uh, glider with a 12.7 in it, and I've got something in my coolant that is plugging up my heater cores. What could that be? 
Well, you could approach this two ways. Is, uh, it, it, you, you could approach this as we're going to try to figure out what it is, or you could just approach it as let's get it out of there, get the system cleaned up, and get new coolant well, back in. That's uh, what I want, what I'm going to do, but I'm kind of curious as to why, what it is the, that's what could be in there. So we could look at the possibilities. You can get fuel into coolant and you could get oil into coolant. That's really about it. Those are the only other two liquids we have on the engine that are going to get into the coolant. The, the, the issue is... You, what's that? There's a... In the bottom of the coolant reservoir, it, it kind of looks like a, a powder. So, yeah, I mean, hey, uh, here's what I'm going to say. We could all sit here and we could get 10 more people to join us and we could all speculate on is it fuel or is it oil? And you're never going to figure it out. So there's two ways. Yeah. One, either... What about spe- like, Kevin? Uh, maybe. Well, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Silicates One, you could... Silicates a lot of antifreeze. Silicates could. You're right, if there's a powder. So you could send in a sample. It's the only way I know that you're going to figure it out accurately is pull a coolant sample, use the same bottle and form as you do for an oil sample, and send it to the same lab, and they'll tell us what's in there. It's the only way I know to know for sure, unless you find the problem on the engine somewhere. You know, you find a cracked head that's going to be oil. You find an injector cup, it's going to be coolant. But we could just say, you know, this is 10 years old. I imagine the coolant's probably been in there for 10 years. It's not unusual. Uh, maybe we just changed Two years. The... I... What coolant is it? Uh, yeah, I yeah. It's a Detroit coolant. I replaced the radiator well, and it... thermostats and everything. And... Is it long life? Extended life? The, yeah, the, the Detroit is supposed to be. Okay. Well, if it, I mean, it either is or it isn't. It's either the old-style coolant that we have to keep adding additives and recharging it, or it's the new long-life coolants that go 600,000 miles. It's either one or the other. Okay, so it's the long-life because they said I don't have to add, test it or add yeah. any okay. additives to it. Yeah, I, like so I say, what, you, you I, could pull a sample. I have a thought. What did you say, Bruce? Um, years ago on a big cam, Pete, you may remember this, the charge air cooler had a slight coolant leak and it was blowing coolant into the head and it built up a green mass that uh, almost completely blocked off the inlet to the head. Do you remember that, Pete? Yeah, we did that outside. I'm in front of the um, parts room, and the opening was about the size of a quarter. You know, right. And normally right. it would be, wow. you know, two and a half by three and a half inches. And yeah. it closed off that much. It, it was just and enough of a trickle that it would congeal like that. You know, he wasn't getting coolant in the oil. He wasn't consuming vast amounts of coolant, but it was leaking out enough. And I don't know if it was the heat or what it was. But it um, it did that. We ended up um, rotating the engine over so the valves were closed, and basically took a screwdriver and a vacuum and cleaned it out and replaced the element in the aftercooler and sent him on his way. It came in for a smoke issue. The truck smoke. Also, 
Pete, whenever the low flow coolant came out in 1986-87, wasn't there certain antifreezes that would build up on the screen, the silicates in the antifreeze? Mm -hmm. Yes, there was a screen in there that would plug. So if there's a heating issue, one of the first things we would do is take that line off. And, and the, the screen was cone-shaped and went inside the thermostat housing. And we would have to clean that up. And which antifreeze? Green, well, that would have been green back then. Pretty much everyone yep. ran green in the big cam days. There was also an antifreeze that ate the grommets in head gaskets years ago. So, I'm wondering if he's got a situation where the silicates in the coolant are falling out and clogging his cooler, his heater. Because it's done it pretty, it did it pretty quick. I, I replaced both the heater core in the the bunk and the cab within the last five six months, and they're just about plugged up again. Now, when I took the heater core, uh, what color is this stuff that's plugging it? It's like a red. The coolant's red. And it looks like a red powder. Yeah, see? And back whenever we had this problem, it was green. But why is this happening with your red coolant? So if you, you know, instead of replacing the heater core, can you just reverse flush it with the garden hose? Take the well, I'm going to try that. And I'm, I'm going to try that next because I just did the one in the dash two months ago and it's already plugging up again. The one in the bunk, it's been plugged up for about four months now. Uh, and I'm going to try that next time. But what, so to, to flush that system good, I need to pull the stats and what should I use to flush the system out with? Well, you don't need to pull the stats. Well, I, I would do, first thing I would do is back flush the uh, heater course to get that clean. And I would even okay. get a bucket, try to catch it to see what, what's in there. Yeah, um, then drain that. the block, drain the radiator, fill it with water, and get a good cleaner. Like we sell one um, thorough flush made by Iron Tide. It works really well. You would dump two six-ounce bottles in, run it until the thermostats open up, run it for a while, come back, drain, you know, again, the block, and the radiator, fresh coolant, or I'm sorry, fresh water, get it hot again, thermostats opened up, drain the block and the radiator. And I'd also, you know, catch some of that stuff to see if you're, you know, if it's not clean and you're still getting contaminants out, I would, you know, flush it a third time then. Okay. And I would definitely take a sample. Yeah. Like Kevin said, that's, I, I, I don't know if back on the sample, but. Uh, I've got OPS bottles. The coolant, uh, the coolant and oil well, samples are two different bottles. Oh, are they? They used to okay. be the I same. Think, aren't they, Kevin? We used to use the same bottle oh, and right. even it's the, the same that, form, I think. Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm confusing fuel. Yeah. I think it's the fuel sample that's different. It's a bigger bottle, I believe. Yeah. I, I, I'm, One of them is different. Yeah, I'm pretty sure on a coolant we used to use the same bottle and form. You should be able to figure that out, though. I, I mean, I think if, you're if, correct. Yeah. Yeah, the fuel is a different one. Yeah. 
And the fuel Look, is I've already expensive. got a couple of those. That, that's the, I, I have never, ever recommended yes. a fuel sample for two reasons. One, it's really expensive, and whatever fuel you sent the sample in before you get the results, you now have different fuel in your tank, so who cares? So I, I've never recommended a fuel exactly. sample. I don't even under, I, The only way I would do that is if somebody had big underground storage tanks and thought they had contamination. Then that might make sense, but on a truck... Makes no sense, but the uh, the coolant sample, I probably recommend four or five times a year. Okay, you said well, it was I, red, not I'm, like a rust killer, right? It's uh, uh, yeah, I guess it could be a rust. The the powder you're talking? Oh, just you said whatever. When you flush it, you get yeah. some sort of red coming out of it. Is it just? Like coolant red, or is it like rust, rusty orange? It, or it, it could be a, a rusty orange. That was another, you know, thing. I don't know how it could. There could be any rust in there, though. That. Oh, yeah. We've had some. We've had some tough questions today. We've had some really, I, I think we lost so that call, thing, but we have had some really head scratchers today. Hey, by the way, glider, uh, correct? yeah, it was a glider. Okay, so here's my thought. You know, let's face it, they were a tough time getting good 12-7 cores. Could this core have just been a really rusty core and someone didn't you know, have it tanked when they assembled it? Could he have, not have something grounded right and it's causing the, the block to corrode? Or it could be getting air in the coolant system that's rusting um, things? It's hard to say. Hmm. Kevin. Yeah. The guy that had the, has the white in the power steering tank. Yeah. He left his name and his phone number with Angie, and she texted it to me. So that worked out really well. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Our, our call screeners are awesome. Angie does a The call screeners, Angie, yeah. Morgan, they do a lot of work in the background. There's a lot going on when they're call screening. All right. Well, let's move along because the calls just keep piling up on us. Um the call list keeps getting longer instead of shorter. Let's go to Pennsylvania. John, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, I called the show back in August. I'm the one that went out to Idaho and picked up the 93 International Cab over and drove it back to Pennsylvania. Okay. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, I'm just calling. I remember this. Yeah, you asked me to call you and give you an update. That truck runs really strong. I mean, I didn't have any issues at all. I drove it with one hand, no, no overheating, no oil burn. I don't know if you guys are familiar with chicory outside of Ebbingburg. The hill is like a small of 14% grade. I mean, I was only bobtailing, but I excelled up that hill in 10 years. And I was surprised because my pickup truck can't even do that. My pickup cannot excel up that hill in top gear. It's got to gear down. You need a new pickup. No, actually, that you're just coming out of overdrive. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you're just coming out of overdrive is well, all that's, that's happening there. Yeah, yeah, but that... I was calling, um, if I do do an overhaul, what price range... Wait, 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 wait. Why are we talking about an overhaul? Well, I mean, eventually it's going to need one. It's, it's a 30-year-old truck. It's got... The engine's got over a million miles on it. I don't know how long it's going to last. Well, there are some clues, so we need to look at the clues. You have no idea when this engine may have been rebuilt, right? No. But you also don't know that it hasn't been rebuilt, correct? Right. So how how many miles have you put? How, how many miles have you put on the truck since you've had it? Twenty-two hundred. So wait till we get to the point where you have to add a gallon of oil, and that will tell us the condition of the engine. Not the whole engine, but the cylinder kits, which is what, when we're talking about an in-frame, we're basically talking about replacing cylinder kits. And we do it when they wear out. And we know that they're worn out based on oil consumption. So until that happens, there are plenty of other things you could be focused on other than worrying about an in-frame and what it's going to cost. Hey, hey, just let, let's see if that's even something we should be thinking about. If this thing goes 10,000 miles and you don't need a gallon of oil, I wouldn't even be thinking about an in-frame yet. The other thing I would do is... Um, old engines love the catalyst because they weren't designed for ultra-low sulfur diesel fuel, and I'd be getting a mixture of Lucas fuel conditioner and the max mileage catalyst in the fuel. That'll make the engine nice and clean inside, give it lubricity, and then you might be surprised as how long this engine's going to run. Yeah. Hey, Pete, if Get I... Get the fleet air filter in it. Pete, if I had a truck in there for other stuff, even say like I want you to just do a Hawkeye report on it and, you know, maybe do a couple other things. If I'm already in there for something else, what would a crankcase pressure test cost? So it would just throw the dyno and throw the manometer on it. So the dyno runs for 425. So you could... And, and when we do that, we could also check fuel pressure, fuel restriction, yeah. um, so, make sure the base gauge is reading correct. We can get a lot of good information from that dyno run. Yeah. So if you wanted to be proactive here, that's what I would do. I, I, I let's, let's find out everything about this truck. Pete just told you, once we put it on the dyno, there's all kinds of things they can check. You don't know anything about this truck, so it'd be a good thing to check all those. And from the crankcase pressure test, Pete, we can we can pretty much tell the health of the engine, right? It's not really accurate, but gives us a pretty good idea. Absolutely. It sure does. It's a, a great baseline. Prepare for disappointment. Did you say it was an M11? <laughs> no, it was a 12.7. Your heart would be broken. No, it's an 11 liter. What's that? Yeah, I thought it was a oh. 11 liter. Oh, I must be. 11 liter what? Detroit? Yeah. Or Cummins? Detroit? Yeah. It's a Detroit. Oh. No, that's an awesome engine. One of my favorites. Heart would be broke. Oh. Yeah, I, I would... Can I, would, I just call your show? Yeah. 
There you go. go. I live in Central PA. So I'm not far from you guys at all. Oh, I live d- in Altoona. Yeah, make make the make the appointment. Just get it in. Throw this thing on the dyno. You're going to learn a lot about it. Yeah, because that was like the scariest two days of my life driving that back from Idaho. Why? With the tow truck, you know. Well, the tow truck probably bankrupt me before I even got started. <laughs> <laughs> so. But it ran strong. I was I was happy with it. I mean, it, it stopped good. It didn't, you know, you'd think a 30-year-old truck would be all over the road, but I drove it with one hand. You know, I didn't, I didn't fight it at all. Good. And it didn't hesitate. It didn't, yeah. you know, it ran Not, great. It shifted I, good. That, I, I've said it for years and years. I own two of those. They were my absolute favorite engine. I love that thing. Let's, uh, let's move along. We're going to go to Arkansas. Patrick, welcome. Hey guys, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? So today? Bruce on this on this Bruce on this Acer NXS, we got the we got the uh JR all no all go and no show tune in it. If I'm pulling fifty nine and a half pounds of boost pressure, how much power am I putting down? Hey, sir, one's a little more difficult. Let me do a, a little more power and it'll help you. We're, we're basically too much. No. Too much what? It's an Acer. They make 59 pounds of boost without trying. What do you make, Kevin? On your C13? Enough to blow the charge air cooler off the side. <laughs> So you're making 39, uh, 59? 59 and a half, according to Kevin Rutherford's scan gauge that's attached to the dashboard. You're around 719 horsepower from one calculation. Um, well, that's really good. As high as, you can be as high as 767. Okay, and then Heidi just ran the last quarter's numbers. This thing got 6.55 in a W9, pulling the van and a hopper. Uh, in Wyoming. Damn good. Well, in the windiest Wyoming, state in the country. No, the windiest state in the country, Bruce, is where you're at. Where? But That's only when you're talking. No, but only when you're talking. <laughs> You know, <laughs> hey, and then and then uh, I, you know, the supply chain is 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 maddening enough. But uh, but go along with this a little bit. So, uh, I I had to buy a road force um, alternator for this Acer back in October. I was in a pinch down in Denver. Uh, and, and I actually thought the bearing was going out of the Delco that I had on the truck. And so, and it turned out to be the tensioner pulley underneath, but I changed them both out because I just don't want problems. That, that replace, that road force, which is a, a Kenworth type of a product that cost me 750 bucks across the counter. That thing lasted 39 
thousand miles and it was shot. So I got those guys checking into warranty and they're hemming and on a little bit and that's fine. And then the other thing I got on warranty stuff, and this really will piss you off. I, I went with those Gabriel shocks on this thing, uh, all six of them, two in the front and four in the back. It got the low leaf air on it and I, and they're the adjustable ones. Uh, and so I always set them for a medium ride. Well, this son of a gun, that's fine. We got to about 40-some thousand miles, and every time I went to wash the truck, they're dirty. So they're losing a little bit of fluid. And I'm not running heavy. I'm running legal. And then I get to about 58,000, uh, and they're shot. I, I actually put a new set of drive tires on the truck uh, and... Uh, uh, went ahead while everything was apart, took those shocks off, and they were like spaghetti. So called Kenworth. They brought me four shocks out, same shocks because we didn't have enough heads up because apparently Monroe is not a shock that they keep at the uh, distribution centers for Packard. So I went back with the same Gabriel shock, and they've been screwing around with this for over a month on the warranty on these four shops. And, and and their first three outings on this was, we're not going to warranty anything. They're supposed to mist out. Well, I'm sorry. If they're misting out oil, uh, they're shot. They, they're, they're, uh, or at least that's my opinion. So somebody else tell me different. But this warranty process anymore, I mean, you might as well just say it's not worth a part in the wind. Hmm. Yeah. Am I gone? No, everybody's still here. No, just, you're uh, there. We're just all contemplating. Is everybody yeah. scratching their head? Kind of. Yeah, it's been a very head scratching day. I'll tell you. It, it it really has, and I've been I've been. I, I, I just don't know. I mean, Kevin, it, it, it's a vendor thing at the end of the day. It's a vendor's vendor at the end of the day, basically, is what it is. I mean, where does the guy that owns the truck that's putting $300 worth of shocks on the truck every time you do a rotation or put a new set of drive tires on because the shit won't last? So, you know, it's just, it's, it, it's just absolutely maddening at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. You know, most people, what do you do? honestly, most fleets, most owner-operators have really kind of given up on changing shocks. I know people that go years without changing their shocks because, like you said, they wear out so damn fast that you'd be replacing them constantly. And when they, when you don't replace them, it, they're not horrible. I mean, it doesn't cause major problems. There are almost no tire wear problems anymore but that are linked to shocks you can have totally trash shocks on your truck and your tires will wear just fine um so it, it's just and, and we can't get a good shock it seems like you know and and we know why when they try to build a, a good shock it's too expensive and people won't pay for it and and well, i, 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 I kind so. of understand I why I, I, because honestly it it, it 
buying the really expensive shocks when we were doing it, it wasn't saving money. There, there, would, there was no problem that shock was solving that saved us any money. What it did, I loved having them on the vehicle. I mean, it, it's really, really nice handling, control, ride. But honestly, like I said, most trucks running around, the shocks are just totally toast and nobody cares anymore. Because what are you going to do? I, I think don't know. I, do, I, so I do I just I remember, give up my old school way? I think I remember Mike Beckett telling me that the shocks they're putting on trucks really aren't lasting thirty or 40,000 miles. Wow. So what do I just give up my old school ways and just I don't walk know. away from it and say, well, it is what it is? I don't know. Or, or Bruce, didn't you say that, or didn't somebody tell us the other day that King will still build shocks? They're probably really expensive, but you could probably find somebody to they, build you a shock. They, they said they would. Um, Bill had tried talking to them. Do you remember how obstinate they were or what they had to say? I don't think he's, they've gotten back to him. Uh, he's that's not following surprising. up with them. And I don't yeah. believe that. I, I, I just, I, I don't think they want to deal with the trucking industry. I think it was several years of nothing but hassles and cost. And, um, but I, I do know they build them from scratch because I had them build shocks for my coach. And then I didn't use them. They're, they're too much for the coach. So how much was that, Kevin, to have them built for the coach? Well, I, honestly, I don't know if I could even go figure it out. We, it was when we had a partnership with them, and a lot of times we just swapped stuff. You know what I mean? We'll do this as part of our deal, and right. you, you build me a – They also built – here's another one I remember. They built us shocks for the uh, signature trailer. Those were custom. And again, that was a big project, and it wasn't like we said, you know, build us shocks, and here's how much we'll pay. It was, you know, it was all part of the whole program and and the partnership. But I, I do know I've had them build custom shocks twice. Wow! By the way, I mean, I, do you I'm think not, it's cost prohibitive? I'm not sure, Bruce. Do you remember the signature trailer, first one? I do. Yeah, we, we um, debuted it at uh, Dallas, I think. That was the truck show. Um, Vic and Sarah bought that. I'm trying to remember. That was a, quite a while back. Um, I just saw the other day, it, it may already be sold. They they are selling it. They're selling that trailer. Yeah. Yep. Oh, wait a minute. Was that the... Oh, no, there's another one. We actually owned one. So we sold the first one, and then we built one for ourselves, and we sold ours a couple years ago at the end of a CMC. Okay. All right. Well, it is a uh, it is a head scratching kind of day. We're gonna keep moving along here. Maybe we can actually solve a problem today. Let's go to Indiana. Len, welcome. Hey, welcome. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, it'd be nice Hello? if you got closer to your phone. You sound like you're across the room. Uh, okay, how about that? That's a little better. Go ahead. Okay, got. Well, one thing I wanted to say that God was having problems with the T660 overheat and not over, off and on. 
I had the same situation on a, a Detroit. And what the shop figured out was the water pump flapper, the flapper inside there wouldn't spin fast enough <clears throat> just when it got hot. And they, re- they replaced mine, and then that fixed my issue. Did if that make sense to you guys? Uh, now I'm getting confused. We've had so many problem calls today. Did we have one that was overheating? I thought that was the one that wasn't getting hot enough. Yeah, that's the one that wasn't getting hot enough. Right. Oh, what? Because okay, mine what with the different temperatures, it would overheat because the coolant wasn't fl- getting passed through it quick enough. Yeah. So okay, I so, lost you guys for a little bit. Yeah, okay. that we're working on the opposite problem. That's why it's so confusing because it almost never happens. Tracking down overheating problems usually fairly simple, again, because the list isn't very long of the things that can cause it. That's the problem we're having here. There's so few things that can cause a truck not to build heat, and yet we can't figure this one out. Gotcha. And I have a question for you guys. Do you, what would you recommend, like you have insight for Cummins to diagnose the force regen? Do you know of a good generic brand? Uh, J-Pro is, works pretty well. Uh, Nexic makes their own. It's called uh, E-Technician. It's also pretty good. Okay. E- E-Pro? Uh, J-Pro and E-Technician. J-Pro. Okay. And E-Technician. Okay. That's what I want to know. And if you guys ever heard of OTR performance or not that one but but i will look into them yeah we've heard of them okay uh, that they work too or um i mean they read basic uh data um right okay. off the, the can bus uh on okay, some of the newer stuff you can do forced regions um there are some sort of reset procedures and things like that i think the reset tools are separate item um but yeah they, uh, they're good tools. A lot of people like them. Okay. All right. That's all I got. appreciate it. You're welcome. Yep. Thanks for the call. Moving along, we're going to go to Minnesota. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, guys. Um, just a suggestion for the guy with the radiator or the not warming up issue. If he is going to replace the thermostat, maybe test him with a hot plate to eliminate the possibility of it being the thermostat after he replaces with new ones. You know, I guess we're almost looking for the opposite here. You're looking for a thermostat that opens and then doesn't close as it cools back down. Mm Mm-hmm. I almost be worth testing it with a it, hot plate or you know it, it, your kitchen stove. At this point, we have to try everything. Um, you would think mm-hmm. that three different new thermostats would eliminate the fact that it could be a bad thermostat, but who knows? You know, maybe just it's the yeah. Just a really unlucky situation. We have these supply chain shortages. I'm sure quality is taking a hit with all this. And and we're we're so far into this and we don't have any answers that, like I said, you got to go back and almost start from the beginning again. And you're right. Test the thermostat before you put it in. Uh, a friend of mine 
several years ago was at the parts store, local car parts store, and they told him that three out of ten thermostats would actually work correctly. What? We only have a 30% success rate with thermostats? That can't be. Well, they would open, but instead of opening at 175, they'd be opening at 178. Oh, okay. So that, that's that I they, could understand. Yeah. They, they were opening, they were working, but it was a few degrees off. Well, here's the thing. Of what they were Leroy, labeled. You may be able to add to this, but I have a feeling that a thermostat that's only 3 degrees off, we're never even going to know it. Does yeah, 3 degrees no. really matter? Even I mean, that's some of the most sensitive a... sensors, 3 degrees shouldn't matter. Right. And I mean, it's that's just going to be a, a manufacturing difference between the wax or how much wax is in yeah. each thermostat. Right. So I could see a little bit of, uh, you know, build quality as far as, you know, yeah, their but expansion I, rate on one batch of wax versus another. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it, we've been through three thermostats already, and if all three of them were even off a couple of degrees, it, it wouldn't matter. Not not in this case. Something is something is completely oh, yeah, wrong when we just can't build heat. Yeah, yeah this guy's I not like it. ten degrees short. It won't right. get more than one hundred and sixty-five degrees. Right. No matter yeah. what. Yeah, that's I, ag- so, I agree with you, but being he replaced three of them already, I know. I know. Try to eliminate Gotta. the issue by. Testing it ahead of time. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Go back to the beginning. Let's start over. Let's do stuff that, you know, we normally don't think is necessary. Maybe this time uh, it is. So, all right. We are going to Missouri this time. Ken, welcome to the program. Good morning. Uh, Back to that 660, and I'm going to tell back that, yeah, don't test the one that you're going to put in it. Test the one you're taking out to see if it works. But did he say that problem started after he had it overhauled? Yes. Yeah, he did. Yes. Correct. Now, we fought this about 30 years ago on a truck one time, and we found the problem while we were looking for a completely different problem we were having with all of our other trucks, and this one truck in the fleet wouldn't warm up, and somebody had plumbed the heater in wrong where the heater was returning to the engine, after the thermostat, up in the thermostat housing, after the thermostat. So the heater was completely bypassing the thermostat all the time. You had you had coolant flow through the heater. The thermostat wasn't doing anything. The truck wouldn't warm up. As a simple matter of move the hose back where it belonged, put the temperature switch up there where it belonged in the thermostat housing. And if, if somebody was into it, I would look for somebody routing something wrong really quick. And that's a great, was actually, that's a great idea. Yeah. The, the mechanic yeah. that had been working on ours, you couldn't even understand. It was another guy and I were just standing there. And just, I mean, the light bulb went off over our head and we're like, well, there's the problem. Why this the heater is bypassing the thermostat. Move the, move the hose down here where it belongs. It'll warm up. Put the temperature switch up there and you will create the other problem that the other 34 trucks have that we were trying to fix but i mean it happened right after somebody worked on it no that's uh that's go back probably to, the, go back to the last thing that was done to it that's probably uh, the best idea I'll, i've I'll heard on this one so far i, I would i would have made money on it 
you know, when, not a lot, but I wouldn't have come on no, it. No, I, I, I think you're right. When I asked, you know, has it always done this? And he said, no, it did it after an in-frame. I was trying to think through in my head what you could change that, and nothing was coming up. But if this is even possible, and obviously it was on that truck, it's, it's something to go look at. The same thing. My sister got an engine put in a pickup one time, a Chevy pickup, and, you know, she had no heat afterwards. And I was like, man, it's a Chevy. You ought to be able to bake bread in that truck. <laughs> and uh, she got to looking at somebody else's truck and like, well, my coolant hoses or heater hoses run like this. Theirs run like that. I was like, yeah. Huh. She, okay. she bought that thing for a litter in North Dakota and same thing. You know, she called me back like, wow, I got heat now. Well, the nice thing about this idea so, is it makes yep. sense and it's easy to check. Okay. Well, I'll Fair. call you back some other time and argue about other things. Good luck to the gentleman <laughs> with the 660. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the info. I like that idea. Let's go to uh, Wisconsin. Dave, you got another solution for us? Well, uh, listen, Kevin, I, I had a problem, and I'm not going to say it was similar to the guy with that 12-7 glider with his uh, crud in his coolant. I had the exact same problem, exact same truck, 213 glider, 2013 glider with a 12-7. And, and uh, I'm going to tell you that Horizon cannot identify anything in that coolant that they don't already know what it is. It shouldn't be in there. In other words, they couldn't tell me what it was in there, but they told me it was something in there. Now, if this guy wants to give me a call, I'll shoot out my uh, email address, and I can go over with him. But I had the exact same problem, and uh, my email is FIT, that's Frank Ida Thomas, transport at Yahoo. Dot com. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, iron tight was the product I used to clean it. Uh, thorough flush made it. Wouldn't touch it. There's nothing that wouldn't touch, uh, touch what I had. And it was after I replaced the radiator. Come to find out, it appears that the radiator I put in had a leak from the manufacturer. Instead of fixing that leak, they put some type of sealant in there, radiator sealant. And it, it it cost me about four grand to take care of that problem. Wow! Uh, replaced everything: water pump, thermostat, all the lines, uh, heater cores, and I had to put you know, a different radiator in. You know, we didn't think of that when we thought about contaminants. We were only thinking about something that could have cross-contaminated within the engine itself. We didn't think about somebody with, with some sort of a coolant leak dumping in a sealer of some kind. Well, it's, this seemed to happen. That particular radiator was built down in the Valley, Rio Grande Valley in Texas, and that uh, seemed to be... Uh, that seemed to be the problem, and I would have never found that out if that radiator didn't start leaking, and they replaced the radiator again. Got it. So, got it. Uh, yeah. So, this, so this, if he if he wants to shoot me an email, I'll give him my phone number and I'll be happy to talk to him, tell him what I did. Perfect. But it's the exact same problem. Uh, yeah. Very good. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, I we're going to move along. Bruce, today, uh, last couple of calls have been a good example of uh, what you started the show today with, helping each other. 
helping each other. That's right. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's go to Indiana this time. Andrew, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. I got a question for Bruce. Um, if you could clarify when you were talking about the antifreeze eating up the, the grommets. This was back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I was sitting in Mark Chappell's office, the head performance engineer at Cummins. And he had a stack of head gaskets there. And he was designing gaskets. And he said that we were having an antifreeze problem. And for some reason, I think it was... God, I, I, I hate to say it, but I thought it was Texaco, but this is 35 years ago. And okay. it was eating the grommets. They had fiber grommets. And we haven't had that problem for, I said, 30-some years. Okay. Well, well, the reason I asked, and Kevin, I, I, I sent a couple pictures to your sample at Lux Truck. Okay. Email. And I, my 2003 Mercedes MBE 4000 pre-emission, I rebuilt it at 1,805,000 miles. That motor's been running perfect. Every oil samples came back great until the last one right before December where it showed coolant in the oil. So I... Luckily, I was in northern Illinois because I, I moved from northern Illinois to western Kentucky, but I was up there, took it to my mechanic shop, and had to rent a truck, but they, they dropped the pan, pressurized the system, you know, number six liner leaking. Then the number five started leaking, and they said the next one to go would be the number two. So having them rebuild it, Still waiting on a few parts, but it's like the the liner O rings were just fraying, coming apart. And to clarify, I did use an aftermarket kit. And that the motor has never been hot. It always runs anywhere from 179 to 182 degrees. And even at a hard pull, you know, it'll jump up 204, the fan will kick on it, it'll cool right back down. Anybody have any thoughts? The system's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. You started to say something a little bit ago, Pete. What was you starting to say? What I was going to say about when Bruce was talking about the the, um, antifreeze, um, what I remember, again, that was quite a while ago, we always had put green antifreeze in, 50-50 mixed with distilled water, it was when we went to red. Now, I don't remember what brand it was, but it was the red antifreeze causing that on the um, NTC and N14 head gaskets. And then from that point, we, when we would do any work on them, we always put the green back in and, and did no, no longer had a problem. And then at some point, Cummins updated the head gasket to where that was no longer an issue. And I think I have a service bulletin on it. I have to dig through my old notes. 
and I, there was a service bulletin on it, and I can see if I can still find them. You have to get the stone tablets out? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that okay. you brought down from the well, <laughs> and on this, I was running that peak uh, final charge, red coolant in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I don't know, I mean, could that stuff be that harsh where it eat up liner O-rings? Yeah. That, that it, that's a it, it possibility. Should be, um, so there could be cavitation, um, bad grounding. I mean, we've had issues with radiators and stuff where we would then put uh, a ground cable um, from the rad to the frame, the engine to the frame, the frame to the batteries. Yeah. That, that was an issue we ran into quite a few years ago as well. And it kind of disappeared. We just didn't see that. Like some, uh, I guess it was electrolysis is what yeah. you'd call it. But wouldn't now, that eat up the liner and not the O-ring? It could do either. Generally, it would do both. Mm-hmm. And you could see where the, um, you know, the pit marks in the liner would, would follow down through the O-ring. And yours is strictly the O-ring? Strictly the O-ring. Yeah, it's only like 150,000 miles on the liners. The liners are, are fine. But... I'm putting genuine ladies parts back in it. That's kind of what I was thinking too. Did you see the pictures, Kevin? Uh, I was looking for them. No, nobody. Oh, wait a minute. I just got another. Yep. There they are. They just came through. Should be from Cherokee. Uh, Yeah. Holy cow. That's funky looking. Taking a look at some of these. So I don't know what caused what I'm looking at right there, but your question earlier, could it be coolant? And it could be. There there have been problems like Pete described. There's been bulletins on this. I did a ton of research on coolant about a decade ago. And what I found out was even though there's, you know, 132 brands of coolant, there's only like two factories in the U.S. that make it. So it's all coming from the same place. It's all private labeled. And um, they did a, a survey. They checked service managers across the country. More than half of them failed to know which coolant should go in which engine. They didn't even know it was an issue. They just put whatever is on the shelf in whatever needs coolant. Most of the time it works out fine. Occasionally you get either um, something like this that will happen that there can be, you know, components in there that can attack these seals. And um, and you can also get uh, incompatibility issues like two coolants being mixed that create crud. So it, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. Okay. Well, I know after this, I am going back to the green. You know, the, 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 I, I, see, I would never go back to the green. I, I think the green was a horrible stuff. It needs recharged constantly. I do believe in extended life and long life coolant, but I would only use what your engine manual recommends. Every manufacturer will recommend which coolant goes in that engine and just use that coolant. Okay. But I, I, well, I, I you know, when, when Pete, Bruce, you guys remember this. When we had green coolant, we used to have far more coolant problems than we ever have now. 
We used to have all kinds of problems with coolant because yeah, people didn't recharge them. They mm-hmm. never had the right additives. That So I am not a fan of the green coolant at all. That stuff could just go away for for all I care, but you, you should just look in your owner's manual and use the recommended coolant. And, and in every engine today, it's going to okay. be a long life coolant. I don't know that anybody recommends the green anymore. We pretty much put the red, um, shell retailer red in everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that may be one of those brands so that's just very compatible. Yeah. So about okay. 12 years ago, it was with a, a Detroit and found a bulletin from Detroit that um, they wanted a, 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 a low sulfate antifreeze or low something, and it was purple. It, but right. when we looked into it, there wasn't a dealer in the area that carried it. Yeah. And Detroit it, was recommending it, and the dealers weren't even used. It turned out none of that stuff was really necessary, and they were getting really, really custom blends. So you had blue and purple. Everybody was trying to use a different color to distinguish their coolant. Um, turns out, like I said, it, and you may have it, a pretty basic, you know, Rotella Long Life coolant probably works in just about every engine on the market. The other thing, though, you, you, okay. you should be careful of, and it's not a bad idea anyway. If you are switching coolants, do a really thorough flush. You know, let's make sure we get all that old coolant out of there. And we, it's a good time to just do a good clean on the system anyway. Okay, I could do that. That's what I would do. Okay, all right. All right. I will do that. Thanks for your help. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. That's going to wrap up the calls. Anybody have anything they want to finish with today? No. Coolants, Kevin. There's a lot of coolants out there. I know. And each engine manufacturer, Chevy, Ford, um, Subaru, whatever, they're, they're always having their own. Right. And they're all different colors. Yeah. Um, and I, I just do, you know, I bought the Ford. I have two Fords. I bought the Ford Antifreeze. I'm just not going to fool around. You know, I, I really think in a lot of cases that that's just your best bet. And that's what I said. Just go look in your manual. Find out what coolant they recommend for that engine and just use it. I mean, it's just easier. Uh-oh, something, hold on a second. Something happened to my audio here. Uh, was somebody talking? Try that again. No? I think I got the audio fixed, but I thought yeah. I heard somebody. Here. Oh, okay. All right. Did somebody say something? Just now? Well, I was saying so, that I, I use the, um, you know, for my Ford, I just put, okay. the, I got two yeah. Fords, and I just buy yeah. the Ford Antifreeze. And got I said, you got bamboozled. And I, and I drank the boy. Yeah, that's, it was what, the whole thing. that's what it. I missed. I thought I heard you say something, Leroy. Now I got it. All right. <laughs> so uh, I think we're going to wrap. This was a tough day. It was kind of frustrating, wasn't it? A lot of unusual questions. I know. I, you know, I don't. I like unusual questions. Good question. I, yeah, I, I, but I like them when we, when we work through them and noodle on them for a while and we actually come up with a solution. 
Right. You know, maybe can we limit those to like one per show? That'd yeah, great. exactly. We got to <laughs> we, we get that in the call screen. We got to we got we got to spread those out so we don't uh, so we don't bruise our fragile <laughs> egos. Okay, question. Now, Kevin, I have one of your your four sigmatic cacao mix and elixir mix. Which is the one that's for sleep? So neither one of these are going. It's not like you know, melatonin or a lot of the other things we've tried where you take it an hour before bed and it makes you drowsy. That isn't the way these work. You can take these in the morning, you can take them at night, you can take them in the afternoon. You can, and both of them have, so these are what we call adaptogens. Adaptogens are specific nutrients that help your body deal with stress. One of the biggest reasons people are having with sleep right now Sleep is kind of like fuel mileage. I've identified about 30 to 40 different things that affect your sleep. But what we're seeing the most of right now is people have an unbalanced nervous system. They're, They're spending way too much time during the day in the fight or flight mode. And then when they try to lay down to sleep, their body just won't get out and and get into the rest and digest mode. Um, These adaptogens will balance your nervous system over time so that what you'll find is you're able, you're going to be able to relax again. You know, we, we get in this, this, you know, point where we call it wired and tired. We're, we're like, uh, like wired, almost, you know, too much energy, and yet we're tired. We, we want to go to sleep and we want to rest, yet we have all this energy and we can't. And that's just an indication that we're in that's the fight or flight point. mode that's and point. our body keeps releasing cortisol. And so this is just the, the elixir is the more powerful of the two, but just mix them together. The, the problem, the elixir is the one that's really potent, but the elixir is also really bitter. So it's hard to make the elixir taste good on its own. But if you put the elixir in with the cacao and a little bit of honey, tastes really good. And then you'd finish it off with a little coconut milk if you want some creaminess to it. And, um, but this is going to work over time. You're, you're going to notice the changes at about uh, a week in. Put the elixir in with the, I call it cacao, but uh, Angie called it. Cacao. Angie's turn to that. Cacao. Cacao, that's right. So when I was, when I was. I was, uh, trying, to, I, I was trying to teach her how to pronounce things. but <laughs> Well, when, when I was. <laughs> you too. <laughs> when I was working on writing my book on health, which I never finished, we got it about 90% done and then I hated it, so. I don't know what to do with it now, um, but I would I would record because I hate writing. I just I just it, it's hard for me. It's frustrating. So what I would do is I would just record my thoughts. I would start talking, and then Brittany would transcribe it and type it and fix it and make it sound good. And every time I would say raw cacao because that's what this is. I'd say raw cacao, and it would transcribe it to rocket cow. And Brittany called me one day and she said, what's a rocket cow? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So rocket cow, that's what it is. So So drink one of those a day 
any time during the day you want. Doesn't matter when you drink it. And, and in about seven to ten days. Mix the two. Yep. Yep. Here, I'll give you the, the process. So I put the two powders in. I put my honey in. And then I put just enough hot water in it to get it all to blend. And then I make it about 10 to 12 ounces with some sort of milk. I use a, a heavy cream, an A2 heavy cream. You'd use coconut milk if you're trying to stay away from dairy. That's how I make mine. It's nice and rich and creamy, and the, the little bit of honey offsets the bitterness. Um, I, I look forward to this every day the way I look forward to my NDK coffee in the morning. I love this drink. So no, uh, you don't use just water then, huh? You can use just water. I mean, you could try it that way. Just use, you know, about eight to ten ounces of water and see if you like it. Okay. Because that first sample set you sent me, I used it, and I think I was sleeping better. And it, then uh, some people never, respond pretty quickly. Uh, some most most seem to. It's about seven to ten days in where you start to realize, you know, I'm able to sit down and just relax again. I don't feel fidgety all the time. I don't feel like I got to get up and do something. I'm, you know, I don't feel like I, I just can't get my brain to slow down. Um, that's the change you'll notice that all of a sudden, it, the other thing that I noticed was I was now sleepy. I, there was a long time where I just never got sleepy. I got tired, like physically tired. Like I don't want to do anything anymore, but I, I didn't get sleepy. And about a week into this, I started realizing I feel sleepy and it really feels good. Hmm. Okay. Well, that, I have more coming today because I got away from it for a while and, uh, and then the sleep issues come back. So We're actually having a hard time keeping the chill cacao in stock. I just got, I was out of it for a week and at least it just got me another box yesterday where she's ordering that stuff like crazy, trying to keep it in. People are finding a lot of success with it. That's good. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to... On, on the box on the box itself, it shows you to take it three times a day. And you could. It says defend, perform, and chill. Yeah, so you are you could be taking adaptogens three times a day. I'm actually doing it twice a day. We have another cacao product that is perform. Um, so, and then I add a different elixir to that. So some other time during the day... I'll do the perform cacao and I'll add the defend or the think elixir into that one. I have a whole menu so of, the defend, of these adaptogen drinks. The defend the is for defend, your immune you system. Four, okay, then when you put four of those in with your morning protein drink, four packets? Does add four signatures. It says add four Sigmatic plant-based protein to Bruce. your morning smoothie. Bruce, the name of the company is Four Sigmatic. Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, All just right. put one packet. I thought, yeah. four packets? I've never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, you had me a little worried Glad there. I really that box <laughs> that. <laughs> I was like, how did I miss that? Uh, I can't yeah. feel yeah, so so I'll miss you guys next Tuesday because uh, I'll be somewhere in the Caribbean. I'm not sure 
which island, Bel Air, one of those islands. But uh, there you go. That sounds I'll like you fun. Guys in, uh, a week from today, I'm going with my two older sisters, and I haven't been on a cruise with them since my parents' 60th anniversary in 1998. So there you go. All right, so we will. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. We'll see you back here tomorrow. I've got a guest joining me, Dr. Rob Abbott. Uh, we'll be talking with him tomorrow. Uh, Thursday will be a free-for-all Friday. I haven't heard. We'll let you know what's going on with that. And uh, we'll be back here next Tuesday for the Power Hour. Thanks for joining us. Be safe. What time? Oh, go what ahead. What time on Wednesday? Uh, what time on Wednesday? He Eastern will join time? us right uh, 11, right at the start of the show, 11 a.m. 11, 11 a.m., okay. Yep. Very we'll, good. We'll see you then. All right. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.